Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the film review podcast with an amusing sound effect right at the head. There it is. I'll get creative. Uh, thank In you. post. <laughs> Make it uh, uh, some sort of goose noise. Don't tell me what to do. It'll be a goose noise. <laughs> there, there's a cocktail party at the reservoir. Uh <laughs> That's a reference to the movie Sneakers. Uh, this is our film review podcast. My name is Whitney Seibold. I am a critic. I write for Slash Film. Hmm. Uh, introduce yourself, William. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Uh, I write for The Rap. Hey, hey. And uh, we, everyone we calls me Dibs. We hype our outlets enough. Well, we, we don't. You're right, for, we should do that more. Yeah. For a while, we we had kind of steady outlets, and then for a long time, we didn't. We were just sort yeah. of freelance and drifting around, or no, we, but you're right. we, we were just we, doing this. It, but now it, we each have sort of regular outlets there's, we write there's, for. There's a faint sousant of respectability to us, I think, that we sometimes forget <laughs> is a thing. So yeah, we, we are we, professional film critics. We don't just do the podcast, which is a profession mm, in and of itself, mm. but... We also are in print. Yeah, yeah. A, a faint sousant of respectability is the name of my memoir, by the way. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, yeah, this is Critically Acclaimed. We review new movies here in the Critically Acclaimed. Uh, and we have a bit of catching up to do because uh, Whitney went out of town for a little bit. I did. We, and, uh, yeah. We, we usually record Critically Acclaimed on Sunday, and I was in Vegas on Sunday. Uh, I, uh, I have discovered a new thing. Mezcal is my new friend. Okay. Um, uh I didn't drink all throughout my youth or throughout my twenties. I, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be a drunk guy. No, you weren't, I, I lived you weren't a boozer. A, no, I wasn't a boozer. wasn't a drug guy. I lived in a substance free dorm in college, so mm. I was a nerd. Uh, the Columbia Video Club was my drug of choice, <laughs> and I'm not kidding about That's, that. That may be the saddest sentence. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> we'll describe the Columbia House Video Club another time. Oh but, uh, God. But That's a YouTube is, video someone's probably done already. Yeah, what, the the, what Columbia, Columbia House was. Yeah, oh, um, God, I'd probably watch it, too. But, <laughs> but I did belong to the Columbia House Club. And then uh, when I was in, like, my mid-30s, it's like, you know, I'm an adult now. I should be able to handle booze. Like, I need to figure out what this is about. I should be able to taste this and be a little bit more cultured in that mm-hmm. way. I, I didn't want to be drunk. You know, I was old enough now yeah. that I can I can kind of skid past that really embarrassing phase of drinking. Yeah, where you only drink to get drunk and be in, like, wild yeah. social situations. Like a, and, uh, a friend of yours yeah. emptied a bottle of Windex and poured the hypnotic into the Ew. bottle and snuck it out of the store, and then you drink Ugh. it and it tastes a little like Windex, and, yeah. and you get drunk and that's what makes you cool. It's like, no, I didn't have to go through that part. Yeah. Um, but I started dr- uh, drinking. Don't do that, by the way. That's no, a really no, no. Bad that's, idea. That's, that's that's someone else's story. That's but, uh, a terrible story. Don't don't ever do that. Okay. Well, don't a don't shoplift booze. B don't drink when you're not old enough to. Then and, don't drink it if it's in a Windex bottle. And yeah, and then that's probably it. a bad also, don't idea. Drink Windex. Yeah, never do. Jesus, uh, no. But uh, I've since discovered that savory drinks are my thing. When uh, hmm. as a youth, my friends tried to get me to taste booze by putting like sweet stuff in it, soda or. That's fruit how people juice, were with some, me for 
coffee. I didn't drink coffee until I was mm. in like my early 30s because everyone always just like, oh, we'll make it taste like candy. Like, you know what I like? Black coffee. Yeah, like bitter. And, I like uh, bitter coffee. It's great. And I, I found that the, the more bitterer, more savory drinks were a little bit more my speed. Mm. I, I had a drink that had like muddled jalapeno in it at one point. Mm. It's like, oh, that, that actually I can tolerate Nothing that. but rum and Worcestershire sauce. Uh, well, no, it was, it was tequila and uh, and muddled jalapeno and a couple of other no, things. No, I'm suggesting you drink nothing but rum and Worcestershire sauce. No, thank you. Okay. Gin and tonic is fine. With Worcestershire yeah. sauce. But uh, I discovered that gin was my, sort of my jam. I like mm. gin. I like a gin and tonic. I like oh, a gin I martini. I could go with some gin jam. Gin jam? Mm. I, I think they make that. Probably do. But I, I discovered mezcal, uh, of which tequila is. Uh, mm-hmm. Mezcal is... Sort of like a parent drink that has smaller drinks underneath it. and uh, Oh, that sounds cute. Tequila is a kind of mezcal. I'm picturing like this big bottle of mezcal, a bunch of little bottles of tequila. Like they're skins. <laughs> this, <laughs> this is my parent. Like, just like uh, like uh, bourbon and scotch are forms of whiskey. And uh-huh. uh, and I tried some mezcal. It tastes like a campfire. Mm. Also, it's really strong. It's like 8, 55% ABV. Yeah. So it, Which it, is a lot. It's a lot. And uh, so I, I had like one drink and I was drunk and uh, yeah. wandering around Las Vegas. Drunk off of one drink. So cheap. Mm. Yeah, that's always, that's always the other. That's one of the reasons I don't drink. I'm not a, opposed to drinking. It's mm. not for me. It usually just makes me kind of sleepy or, or annoyed. <laughs> but the other reason is because even though I'm actually like a, a pretty large guy, mm. I'm a lightweight. I'll have like one beer and I can feel it. Oh wow! Okay, which is I'm, you're supposed to be like your body mass is supposed to throw that off, but no. Anyway, we're way off topic. We are reviewing new releases here, the critically acclaimed podcast here on the critically acclaimed channel. And as we were saying, we got a little catching up to do because Wendy went to Vegas. Then we talked about drinking for a while. Then we talked about Worcestershire sauce, and now we're here. We're going to be reviewing the new films Thor: Love and Thunder, the Netflix film The Sea Beast, the Paramount Plus film Beavis and Butthead. Go to space. Do the universe. Do the universe. Thank you. Uh, we're going to do uh, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, the Jane Austen adaptation Persuasion, the documentary Fire of Love, the new Claire Denis film Both Sides of the Blade, and g- give me like a quick couple of words about Clara Sola. I, this one I'm familiar with. Which one's Clara Sola? Clara Sola is... Um... Uh, Documentary drama, it's, it's romance. A, it's a drama. It's like a, a small drama from uh, Costa Rica. Oh, exciting! Okay, great. Uh, but uh, let's talk about the big movie, the mm. one that made all the monies. Persuasion. Yeah. No, let's talk about Thor: Love and Thunder. Another. Uh, oh, must we? We must. All right. Uh, there's a new film in the Thor franchise, which is itself part of the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is the mezcal to the Thor <laughs> franchise's. <laughs> Tequila. Well, but this this is not so much a tequila as it is the T-shirt that says one tequila, two tequila, three tequila floor. Uh, <laughs> is, that you might... th- is that that shirt Thor is wearing? Is no, but I, that I, I feel like he should be wearing yeah. a shirt like that. The, the, one of those really cheap mm. knockoff ones you'd get on like Venice Boardwalk. Anyway, this is uh, the fourth film in the Thor series. Is the second one directed by Oscar-winning filmmaker Taika Waititi, who won an Oscar for his screenplay to Jojo Rabbit. He's a New Zealand filmmaker and comedian. Uh, some of his earlier uh, indie stuff is really great. You ever get a chance to see Boy or Hunt for the Wilder People? I highly recommend it. Um, uh, he did uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Which is uh, also really wonderful. The, he was in the movie and he's a co- co-creator of the TV program. Which I only just started watching and it is very, very funny. Oh, gosh, just like the film. so funny. The, the, I love the, the film. The, the it's TV, got yeah. you to sit down with the TV show. Yeah. Matt, Matt Berry is on the TV show so and Matt, Matt Berry is one of the funniest people alive. He's and, great. And everyone on that show is the best person on that show. <laughs> Someone pointed out on, on, on Twitter 
that uh, Matt Berry is like the perfect person to play Garfield in a movie. <laughs> like he has the absolute perfect Garfield <laughs> voice. He'd be amazing. Um, I, I told you some lasagna. <laughs> it'd be, oh, it'd be awesome. Um, anyway, Taika Waititi uh, has a very, um, um, very eccentric approach to superhero stuff. He's not going for like the big epic kind of tales that mm-hmm. uh, you'd get maybe in sort of a classical Superman, Batman mold. He is much more interested in making it weird, making it light, while also trying to throw in a little bit of emotional pathos. Uh, a lot of people loved his film Thor Ragnarok. Mm. There's a lot I love in Thor Ragnarok. I think Kate Blanchett's having a ball. I think it looks amazing. There's a lot of really mm. fun moments in it. Oh, but fun, fun design. Oh, what, amazingly good design. What, like, really what, good looking. Uh, what Taika Waititi really unlocked in Thor Ragnarok because Thor that was like maybe a sixth film at that point. Yeah, Thor Ragnarok. Because he was film, in, the, yeah. like, in some of the Avengers team up movies. Yeah. Like uh, like when he, Kenneth, Kenneth Branagh basically did Thor by way of the Masters of the Universe movie. Hmm. What if he was trapped on Earth? Yeah, and, it's and, fu- it's and, fine and for it, what it is. I like it more than you do, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's kind of it's mm. pretty crappy movie. Uh, uh, Thor: The Dark World had some melody dramatic heavy lifting mm-hmm. but the villains are really forgettable and it mostly served to set up Slater stuff in the Marvel Cinematic yeah, Universe that, that, I really that, felt it that, was, that one was really perfunctory and uh, yeah. but I feel like Thor and this is a way I felt about the character from the comics he was never an interesting character mm-hmm. uh, he didn't have a lot of pathos or inner life he was a Thor he was a god yeah and, and what's more he's Thor even traditionally Kind of the frat bro god. He drinks, mm. he carouses, makes a lot of mistakes, mm. fixes them with a giant hammer. Like, yeah, like he, that yeah. his weapon is a hammer, I think says a lot. It's he's yeah. a blunt force object. And uh, as such, you, you put him in these movies, and he's not very interesting. He's mm. a, a handsome guy. Uh, but There's the reason why Loki was the breakout character from the first Thor, he actually had a story. Oh, yeah, he, it, like, it was kind of his story. And, yeah. uh, and even he wasn't that interesting. And I feel like yeah. they, they didn't really like, nail, nail Loki yet. But... Uh, mm. I feel like Taika Waititi uh, took the very wise approach of turning Thor into a comedy character. Mm-hmm. They made him sort of, even though he's a god, he's kind of thick. He's a yeah. little bit of an idiot. And uh, yeah. that that was the sort of the tack he took with Thor Ragnarok. And that made him a funnier character, put him in a wacky situation. Mm-hmm. And he seemed a little bit out of his element. It felt a little bit more like, and this is actually a, a, another intellectual property that Taika Waititi has been attached to over the years. It felt mm-hmm. a little bit more like Flash Gordon. Yeah, where like yeah, yeah, the he, action adventure that, that, is fun. He's a football and, star, he's kind yeah. of a dummy. There, there's some real stakes. The action adventure is fun, but it's in fundamentally he understands that he's a. They they, they use the word space Viking a lot. Hmm. That's a fundamentally silly like two words to go together. Yeah, those it's hard to take that super seriously. Hmm. And yet, I think in Ragnarok, by virtue of having a story which. Had some, they're buried in there, but had some salient themes about like anti colonialism and like sort of the failure of this royal family to actually do anything of value and sort of uh, the family melodrama involved in it. Mm. Um, he was able to get a little bit more out of it than just silliness. For me, my biggest problem with Thor Ragnarok and what actually, it, it doesn't like ruin it, but what keeps it from being great uh, is. Every single time in that movie, mm. someone is about to say something or someone has just said something meaningful, thoughtful, emotional, profound, they undermine it with a joke. Yeah. This is something the Marvel Cinematic Universe does mm. a lot. And Constantly. my my theory the, for a the, long the, time... The word for it is bathos. Yes. My theory for a long... The, bathos is uh, the act of undercutting something dramatic with something humorous. Mm. 
I feel the Marvel Cinematic Universe started doing that with Iron Man, not as pervasively as it would later, but I feel like they were concerned early on because a lot of the superheroes that they had access to initially mm. were not their big ones. They didn't have Spider-Man. They didn't yes. have the X-Men. They yeah. had characters who, like, in I, the mainstream, I, yeah. were considered kind of B-tier at best. Yes, I, Iron Man was like low on the totem pole and of... Like popular superheroes. Yeah, like you might know who he is, but other than maybe recognizing mm. him from a t-shirt, you probably didn't know a lot about him if you didn't read the comics. Whereas Batman, even if you don't read the comics, you know who Batman is. Yeah. So I feel like one of the things Marvel was keen to do early on was give the audience permission to step a little outside of it and say and just tell the audience, we know. The, the He's a space Viking. We know. The characters themselves Mm -hmm. tended to comment on how uh, extreme the situation was. Right. And that there's, to an extent, that is affable and likable. But after we're immersed in it for so long, I feel like we no longer need to apologize for how just odd Mm. and extreme the situations are in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And we can, it seems to me like there comes a time where at least the characters within the narrative Mm. can actually start taking it more seriously. Well, I I feel like. that's one of the things that's keeping uh, one of the central criticisms of the series of movies, which is now 29 films deep, mm-hmm. uh, feel that they feel kind of the same. Mm-hmm. That's sort of a common complaint about these movies. And right. I, that attitude is one of the reasons. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the character is. There's sort of like a winking self-awareness. And yeah. that can be wielded quite well, but it gets old uh, yeah. after a long Funnily after enough, a while. the one and, film I feel like didn't have a lot of that was one that a lot of, not a lot of people liked, which was Eternals. Eternals and Black Panther didn't have yeah. any quipping, and those were some yeah. of the best films. Or, or at so, the very least, they kept the quipping you know, to the characters and yeah. not to the situation so that they would undermine the drama. Yeah, the, there was a few funny moments in Eternal. Like, yeah, where Black we're, Panther. We're going to go have to see Druig, and then uh, Kumail Nanjani says, Druig sucks. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about one of the other Eternals. He's right, but that's, but that's the character. He's not yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. like, the plot of the movie, that's stupid. No, they're taking the plot seriously. Yeah, it's so like this, kind of heady, movie, this weird, heady sci-fi That story. movie has a slightly uh, different vibe, mm. I think. Uh, but here we are with Thor Ragnarok, or Thor Love yeah. and Thunder, yeah. uh, Taika Waititi's next film. And in this one, Thor is dumber still. Yeah. He's gotten even stupider. And he, he's it's like the Homer Simpson phenomenon. Yeah. Right? He starts out just sort of like this blue-collar boob, and then he just becomes a complete idiot like within a few seasons. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we are with Thor. Uh, he's now, at the beginning of the movie, he's tooling around with the characters from Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, doing good deeds and yeah. charging in, and uh, he's, having... lo- he's losing himself in work. He's yeah. at the end of the at the end over the course of the events of uh, Avengers: Infinity War and Endgame, mm. and shortly before uh, he lost the love of his life, Jane Foster. They broke up off camera. We finally see that story in this movie, and uh, half of as Asgard was destroyed. Which was but kind of a big his, that's deal. His home planet or city. It's and not then really clear immediately, what it is. and after a lot of Asgardians died, and then immediately afterwards, Thanos killed the other half of the Asgardians, like right in front of Thor, including his brother. So Thor in uh, Endgame, mm-hmm. I actually liked Thor in that movie. Where the, in that movie he was basically he wasn't handling it well. He was actually kind of like become, aloof and kind, reserved kind, kind and like of a, a recluse yeah. and an alcoholic and yeah, um, and he he put on weight, which they didn't make fun of him a lot for, which I appreciate. And frankly, I wish he just kept the weight on. He's an immortal god; he doesn't need to be cut. Who cares? I, what I wish they had done is, you know, because he's an immortal god, it's like he's lost himself to the drink and he's, you know. 
hand over fisting Malamars, but he still has the physique of a god. That would have also been okay. Uh, yeah. But like, we're gonna, actually, but I actually thought he looked good. <laughs> he got like the cool beard and something. Like that. Bra- braided the beard. He looks a little bit yeah. more like a Viking warrior. Uh, right. But so, it, but in this movie, he's still kind of dealing with the emotional aftermath of everything that he's done, he's, and he's, he's just kind he's, of lost himself in. Uh, work and his sort of his idiom as you might say in Monty Python I am a god I come here to your planet and I save your planet you're welcome another classic Thor adventure and then after they've been fooling around on one planet for a long time they realize they missed a lot of calls and it turns out that there is this guy who's been going around the galaxy killing all the gods yeah there's a, a character named Gore Played by uh, Kristen Bale. Yeah. And uh, in, like, alien makeup. He's all yeah. uh, pale and frightening, and he hides in the shadows. And he, he's somehow gotten his hands on a sword that can kill gods. Yeah. And uh, there is a tantalizing concept here mm-hmm. that is not explored, where uh, he wants to kill all of the gods because... He uh, his people worshipped a deity, and the deity was real. It's an actual yeah. physical being that he could go like visit. all the gods in this universe. Yeah. Uh, and he went to visit the deity and said, "My people worshipped you, and we all died." Yeah, he's my like daughter just died in my arms we, and, while we were I, praying to you for help. And and he was he's like the last of his kind. And uh, that's the impression I got that he was. No, the la- I, the think last that, that's, I think that's I think it's I think it's explicitly stated. Yeah, okay. yeah. And and so and the god says, "Oh, well, <laughs> I'll just get more worshippers," and he's like. Well, fuck. I'm an atheist now. Yeah. You're real. I can touch you. But I don't believe in gods. That's not strictly atheism. But it's, No. He's, he's, but that, wait, that's only the people who, who think atheists are just people who believe in God who no, got well, angry. It, that's what they assume of atheists. But it's actually no, not the same thing. Uh, what, what I think is, the, the, like, the theological implications is he's lost his faith. Yes. But it's kind of difficult to lose your faith in a world where gods are physical beings that exist in 3D space. Yes. So he is, is essentially going to go about uh, the universe and kill them all because yeah. gods are unreliable. Yeah. I, that's a great concept. That's a great concept. And it it's... The, mentioned in a couple scenes I'm it's so not explored at all <laughs> it is such a great start for this I, yeah. in fact the actual the opening of this movie someone mentioned this online and i hadn't seen the movie yet but then i watched the movie i'm like yeah it's the opening to star trek 5 the final frontier we open <laughs> on an arid planet there is no tangible connection to anything we had seen before in fact when i saw this movie in a theater yesterday finally i saw it a week late um I was about five minutes into the movie and we were still on this like des- desert planet and someone le- I didn't know leaned over to me and says, hey, are we in the right theater? And I'm like, yeah, this is Thor. He's like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> he really didn't know what the hell right. was going on. Um, but yeah, and it, it, it introduced the idea that if gods are real in this universe, which is actually kind of an about face for the MCU, the initial implication is that from Thor 1 was that they were not gods, they were mistaken for gods. And we've kind of just backtracked on that and just said they're all gods now. Yeah. But whatever. We're here now. This is what we're going with. Uh, and, uh, God, fact, the gods I remember are, yeah. one of the movies, Anthony Hopkins said, like, we're not gods and we're not immortal. Exactly. Like, but, we live a really long time, but we're, not, we're, we're, say, we're but, functionally immortal, but, but not you, actually immortal. You but know? you are. <laughs> you're, but, you're Odin and Thor. Like, you're... you're yeah. And once you just say once you're we, the deities? And once you establish, and we see in this movie, like, Zeus is here. We see mm. in the trailers played by Russell Crowe. Oh, there's, like, there's a whole... They go to a city uh, in the course yeah. of this movie. I think it's just called Immortal, immortal no, City. No, or, it's... Um, uh, oh, what's it called? Or, like, um, um, it's um, um, Omnipotent City. And, something uh, like that, yeah. 
And that's where all the gods hang. It's like Mount yeah. Olympus. It's yeah. where all the gods from every denomination faith, yeah, yeah. hangs out. No and, Jesus, though. Decided not to go on that route. There's no, well, like, there's I, no Christian. I actually looked this up once. Uh-huh. And, and like, the Judeo-Christian god uh-huh. is, is like, a, an actual defined being in the Marvel Universe. It is. Like, a... Like eternity is, uh, which is another being that shows up in this movie. Yeah, uh, sort of like contains the universe within his body. Like eternity yeah. and infinity are like space and time. These yeah. beings that represent space and time. Uh, there's like the living tribunal. There's a whole canon of gods in Marvel comics, and within that canon, they make reference to. They have a name for it. It's like you know, God three eight seven two, and that's the Judeo- traditional Judeo Christian god. Yeah. Out, out here in the in. Outside of Marvel Comics. Anyway, my point is this. They decided not uh, to make that a character, which is probably a can of worms they didn't want to open. Or, or just ha- have Jesus in the movie and have him with a I, bow and arrow or something. I, it's fun. I would have thought uh, it was funny, but they decided yeah. not to go there, is my point. Unless, it's, unless uh, yeah, he's hidden so, in the background somewhere. But yeah, uh, the uh, the plot of the movie is this gore guy is uh, charging around the universe, destroying deities. By yeah. the, and he has uh, control of this magic sword that gives him The power control, to kill deities. The uh, power to kill deities and also stalk through shadows and uh, summon creatures. Yeah. Uh, and teleport through shadows, like in the movie Little Monsters. And, uh... <laughs> it's a hell of a reference. Uh, yeah, thank so, you. So Thor and, immediately uh, runs home to try to protect Asgard. Asgard is fighting off all the monsters. Mm-hmm. And once he is in Asgard, he finds out that Asgard currently has a protector. He did not abandon them altogether. Their protector is the mighty Thor, mm-hmm. who is now Jane Foster, played by Natalie Portman. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is back. And like in the comics... Uh, her character is suffering from stage four cancer, and when medical science fails her, she just looks into the magic science that she knows a little bit about, and through a little bit of plotting, she's mm. able to wield the mighty Mjolnir and take on the power yeah, of it, Thor. It, it was broken into a bunch of pieces, and she's yeah. able to magically reassemble it. Uh, why, mm. why that was... Not done elsewhere in this, this mm-hmm. series, who's to say? Why, why um, it only works for her and not Thor. Just, wait a minute, whatever. so... Yeah, Kate Blanchett broke the hammer. Yes, but then it was back in Endgame, and I don't remember how. No, no, it wasn't back. He had to forge a new hammer. Remember, he forged mm-hmm. a brand new hammer. Oh no, 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 because oh, he, he he forged like that with uh, Peter Dinklage's character. You're... He forged like that big axe head. But yeah, there was, but they, wait but a minute. He, where but did he also that come had the hammer. The the hammer. I don't yeah, remember. Yeah, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Where did that come from? How did it get rebroken? Wait a minute. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. There's I'm going to look that up. I don't know if that's a plot hole so, or if some, that was covered look, somewhere. People who pay, pay closer attention to these movies probably have all the answers, but uh, I I, really I tend to forget a lot of that. details yeah. because these movies don't stick in my brain. No, there's uh, a lot th- of, this a lot one of wibbly-wobbly special, stuff. Especially, this one feels really loose. It's very um, messy because it, it's, it's, it's not focused around a central conceit. So we've hmm. got this central villain, and the theme is... The gods of this universe are much like the gods of yore. Like before we had this idea of God as this omnipotent, all-caring, all-controlling, all-knowing force. Mm. Most gods of the past of, in human history were seen as relatively fallible. They were well, well they were gods of human fallible human conditions. Yeah. And they had fallible human like, qualities. Like the reason why a your you know, this the the river flooded and and washed away your entire town is because God was pissed that day. That's not mm. an all knowing, all caring God. That's no, it's an a angry God that just God. happens to have a lot of power it's and like, you well, worship what, what, them because they are fickle. What, what can we do yeah. to, to not make them angry? Nothing. Yeah, well we'll do <laughs> what we just, can. You want a goat? We got plenty of goats. By the way, there are goats in this movie, and they're some of the best parts of the film. The screaming goats. 
Uh, they made me laugh. They made me laugh. I'll, I'll let it happen. I, I thought they weren't that funny, but... Uh, yeah, I, I, they made me laugh. There, it's, two, it's a simple two, joke, but I'll Two, like, uh, eight-foot, like, gigantic eight-foot-tall goats, but rather than bleating, they, like, scream in a human voice. Yeah. And it's kind of funny the first time, and they keep leaning on it a little too heavily. I, uh, but, it, yeah, it, we, it, we have... It's kind of funny. Like but it. now we have uh, Thor, who's Thor, and mm-hmm. when Natalie Portman takes up the Thor hammer, mm-hmm. she becomes a Thor. She becomes mm-hmm. very muscular, and she uh, you know, gets, like, the mm-hmm. Thor costume appears around her body. And you would uh, think that, good. considering that this is a movie about uh, mm-hmm. the responsibilities of the gods... You would have a conversation about that at some point like with a human if, who has become a yeah, god. If you're, it would be like uh, Bruce Almighty. Like you're, yeah. you're God now. What do you do? How do you help people? And and all she wants to do is kick ass. Or or you could have maybe a conversation about how here is someone who was dying mm. and kind of found religion. There you go. Like in a very yeah. literal way, you could talk about that, or maybe you could see that does she she's have, is she they angry don't, they don't at God for for what she, it, that's happened to her. Like she does knows she, gods are real. She dated Thor. Does she have? faith in Thor? Right. Like, in, in a theological sense? Like, it raises these questions about the way theology works in the Marvel Universe, and we're seeing the Marvel Universe take some, like, weirdly, like, firm stands on things, like mm-hmm. in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. They said, in no uncertain terms, that every time you are asleep and you are dreaming in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, you are dreaming of, an, of a real alternate reality. Mm-hmm. That's huge, by the way. That, that is a real fucking mind fuck. Mm. Like, like if, that, if that was something you introduced for one movie, that would be something you could kind of skate past. Yeah, but that would be the whole premise these, of the film. The, all these movies interconnect, so now we're gonna have yeah. to we're gonna have to start talking about these in other movies. Yeah, it's uh, it's fucking yeah. wild. We're just dropping things mm. like 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 they're nothing, and so well, the, we're introducing well, these big ideas here, and then we're just dropping them well, and not giving them any heft and not actually exploring yeah, well, I mean, them in a way. And then after a while, Gore Gore stops hunting gods for a while and decides to go just like in Star Trek Five, travel to the center of the universe mm. to ask the the one god he decides he does believe in uh-huh. which is feels like a flaw in the whole storytelling logic of the whole film for a wish mm. what <laughs> the it's, fuck is going like, on uh, it's like the source in the highlander mythos yeah uh, so it's ill-defined or, yeah so okay. yeah, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever <laughs> So yeah, Gore has faith in this one god that's in the middle of the universe, so he can g- get a wish, uh, and his, and he only wants to do that because he doesn't believe in any gods. W- Wait would, a minute. Would think that you wouldn't need to do Avengers Endgame. Like uh, the more mm. you introduce these conceits, the more it's like, why didn't yeah, they do that in the yeah, past? Why didn't Thanos just go to the just go that, It's yeah. not even that hard to do. Evidently not. Because his whole yeah. thing was he was he kicked Thor's ass. All he needed was Thor's hammer to get. And in well, fact, that fucking sucks. In fact, Thanos knew it would have been where so much easier. the the it, it was Thor's axe that he forged yeah. that would, that like sort of cut the way to the center of the universe. Yeah. Thanos knew where that forge was because that's yeah. where he made his his uh, gauntlet. So so uh, that really also, throws a lot of holes in that. Also, that? Uh, other people picked up the hammer and they didn't get a magic costume when they picked it up either. So yeah, there's well, all kinds I, of stuff. I, I let that. That's the kind of thing I'm like, okay, I don't care. But like, yeah. <laughs> once there's you just start retroactively yeah. fucking anyway. With uh, it just doesn't feel. None of this movie the, uh, feels well thought out is the problem. The, the whole, th- I mean, the title is Love and Thunder, and the whole uh, con- central conceit of the movie is Thor's re- romantic relationship with Jane. And yeah. seeing her again after eight years after they broke up because he was a workaholic, uh, he was too busy being a, a hero and didn't want to do human stuff with her. Mm. Girlfriend always wants to do stuff, and he <laughs> wanted to go out and be Thor. And so they broke up. They've reunited, and now uh, all of their interactions are obnoxiously like Adam Sandler level 
uh, rom-com stuff. Yeah, yeah, romantic comedy awkwardness humor. The, and, the, and they try to get away with it by sometimes shifting <clears throat> the romantic comedy awkwardness away from Jane mm. and back to Mjolnir, his old hammer. Well, yeah, and like, like the, <laughs> idea, the idea that, that she's, like, quote, dating his ex because yeah. she's using his... Hammer. There's one gag that they do a couple of times where Thor is like talking to his old hammer or something, mm. and then his new hammer is just starts floating in slowly from off the side. Yeah, like, the, like the, really, like it's, it's right behind yeah. me, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, sorry, Stormbreaker. Other characters along we have uh, Tessa Thompson's back as Valkyrie. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Taika Waititi plays the voice of a CGI rock monster named Korg. Rock- Korg. Yeah, I'm about to say Rock Talk. That's a character from Star Trek Prodigy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, and, and uh, Russell Crowe plays Zeus. Russell Crowe pra- plays Zeus, and that's uh, about it, really. For main I, characters, I liked I liked Russell Crowe as Zeus. He yeah. was doing this sort of like very strange accent, which I thought was very uh, yeah. kind of a, uh, appropriate for the character. Theoretically, it's Greek, but he's doing a very theatrical version of yeah. it. He, and he's it, it's I haven't seen uh, Russell Crowe be like this big in a while, and that yeah. was really nice. I remember when like Russell Crowe first burst onto the scene, he was like a really interesting. Kind very ex- intense actor, he was a very yeah. intense and exciting character actor, and then gradually he just got less, few, fewer roles where he got to actually mm. be big. And yeah. he's good at being big in a very believable way, so he's having fun with them. I, I don't, yeah. f- I can't fault the Dark Universe, I can't fault him for anything in the Dark no, Universe I, stuff. He, was he played, fine. played Jekyll and Hyde, he was fine as Jekyll he was fine. and Hyde, yeah. He had a fun, he had a fun gig. Um, <laughs> it's like yeah I got to be Jekyll and I the, the funniest line is that is like ah I'm not a young man like you and he's like two years younger than Tom Cruise uh, <laughs> but yeah he plays Zeus uh, and, and there's a notable scene where uh, dramatic things happen and uh, omnipotent city uh, this is this is a curious thing that's happening with this sort of latest wave of, of Marvel movies I don't mm-hmm. feel this way about Shang-Chi I think Shang-Chi is pretty tightly put together mm-hmm. but most of them feel very uh, very ragged mm-hmm. uh, very unfocused yeah yeah, yeah they um, don't have they don't have like one uniform story to tell they're like got one central conceit and they're just sort of taping things onto it yeah, really the, uh, awkwardly and I know that uh, and I, I truly feel this way and I've said it before that mm-hmm. if uh, Kenneth Branagh's Thor had come out in 2008 in place of John Favreau's Iron Man, mm-hmm. that was going to be the. F- it's like we're going to do another superhero movie. We're going to do Thor. It probably wouldn't that, have excited the imagination. No, in fact, yeah. I think it would have bombed. That my theory is that it would have bombed. I don't know if it would have bombed. Uh, I don't think it would have necessarily spawned or, or a maybe, giant may, franchise. Maybe a modest success. Okay. And, uh, and I think the reason a lot of people went to go see Thor was because it was released after a gigantic press release mm-hmm. saying that we are going to be making in a several years' time we're mm-hmm. going to be making an Avengers film with Thor in it. Yeah. Uh, also with Iron Man that you've seen already. Well, they had, also, and, and Hulk, which they had just come out the yeah, same and, year and another, as Iron Man. Another yeah. Hulk, and then we're also going to have Iron Man a, Two was a pretty. Big we're going to make already. a Captain America yeah. movie, and then we're going to have them all together in the Avengers. You see all those movies, and you'll yeah. get to see the Avengers. There's and a certain amount of ex- promise. Yeah, yeah. A, and a lot of people are excited about that. So when uh, Hawkeye showed up in Thor, mm-hmm. people clapped their hands and got excited. Oh, good! There's Hawkeye. Yeah. It wasn't just sort of a cute little cameo. It was actually it, promise of something to come. I actually hate that cameo. <laughs> Me too, because it's really tacked on. Oh, it's really uh, tacked on. When you think about it, like when you realize that you take out Hawkeye from that movie, nothing happens with Hawkeye. It's mm. Thor's breaking into a place. You see, kinda Jeremy Renner like pick up a bow and arrow, get into like a crow's nest or whatever, and he's like, "Should I shoot Thor?" And they're like, "No, don't shoot Thor." Okay, cool. So I really didn't have anything to do in this movie, did I? Well, you almost did. Yeah. Oh. And yeah, and they start making like so re- other bad. Marvel comics references, it. like oh, Shield, oh, cool, Shield is David Hasselhoff going to show up? Yeah. People got excited, yeah. and 
I feel like there since there hasn't been a, a press release yeah, maybe saying not. we're stick around and we're going to have, I don't know, Secret Wars, whatever the next yeah. big event is. Uh, these ones, as a result, are showing their true colors, aren't they? Yeah. I feel like if we were, we've sort of lost our ability to differentiate these films as individual, individual films as opposed to episodes in a longer TV well, and show. I, and I think you bring you bring up yeah. Shang-Chi, that's a good point, because mm-hmm. Shang-Chi, even though it has connections to other movies, Wong mm-hmm. shows up, The Abomination, Ben Kingsley shows up from Iron Man 3 yeah, in and, that and movie. The, and then there's yeah. a, the customary stinger at the end, saying, oh, those rings are Which is awakening uh, an evil monster. Which is fine, yeah. that, that's, well, that's all fine. good. Yeah. But Shang-Chi is actually a story about Shang-Chi, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like it's there to explore all these new corners of the universe, it doesn't feel like we're setting up a whole bunch of other shit, it's just a Shang-Chi story and it's a pretty good Shang-Chi story so it's it's all right it works fine is my point it works fine as a movie Thor Love and Thunder actually has all the ingredients you need Mm. to be a really good Thor movie you've got a villain who hates all gods and wants to kill all gods okay well damn it here's the problem Thor's girlfriend just became a god Mm. you'd think Gore would be coming after her or something and that would be a big thing that literally isn't mentioned in the movie that's not an aspect of it we have all the elements here to tell a story about Thor and Jane Foster and Gore, and it, the movie gets sidetracked constantly. Mm-hmm. Constantly. And builds to these big moments that have no weight because they feel like they just sort of happened. Like there's this huge sequence with a whole bunch of children at the end of the movie. No which way. feels so, like so, so tactile. One of those things where it's like, oh, and Thor can has a new superpower I, that we've never seen before. Yeah, everyone makes fun of it when like Superman throws a plastic S shield and it like wraps all over somebody in Superman so, too. It's, it's Thor that, just did the same fucking kind of kind of like, yeah, it's like of wait, are you, are you sure you're not thinking of Shazam? Because I think that's a Shazam <laughs> is what you just did. So there's just Sh- so much Shazam this movie. by the way. Uh, much better movie. And again, because it's a movie about Shazam. Yeah, yeah. It's a movie about that character on a journey with a character arc and a villain who actually connects to that character thematically and directly. There is humor, but the humor doesn't undermine the drama. Here, the humor constantly undermines the drama. The drama hardly ever feels like it has any real weight. Sometimes it's very ill-defined. Like, how exactly being Thor is, like, hurting Jane Foster rather than helping her? Never particularly well-defined or Mm. established. Uh, there's so many things this week, big ideas that are introduced that you could build a whole exciting and genuinely good movie about a god mm. around. And those are the parts that get shoved away for pretty chintzy, unexciting, poorly developed, and often shabby looking stuff. That that's that's something that that's also struck me about this one and about Doctor Strange, about yeah. how how cheap they look. These mm. are hugely expensive movies and somehow mm. they, they look really ill thought. I think it's like a lot of editing choices. Maybe. I mean, they're a, all lot, edited they're, by a lot of people, stories but... have come out. A lot of stories have come out about how Marvel, uh, is constantly pushing their VFX artists, like their CG artists. who are doing a lot of the backgrounds and even costumes. Mm. Uh, and making them like go until the last possible minute because they don't have a clear direction ahead of time. Like, we want it this way. No, we want it this way. Yeah. Can we try it both ways and then we'll decide? Mm-hmm. That adds so much extra effort and it's hard to make everything look as polished as it needs to look when there isn't a clear vision mm-hmm. of the story and the style yeah, the that you ex- want to present. Executives are reshuffling as they go. And that's the thing. This one, and I feel Doctor Strange, I feel like Spider-Man No Way Home kind of got away with it. It felt like it had a story to tell. It's oh, it's, a, it's, it's a gimmicky story, it's, it's but it had a story yeah, to it's tell. It's a nostalgia gimmick. But, but it um, had a story to tell. But in, in the last two movies in particular really do feel like 
studio products in a way that Marvel movies don't always. They felt like they actually had like, here's a piece, we're going to do this piece of the story, and Mm -hmm. we're going to tell this little story right here, and that'll be great. And now it just feels like we're just kind of throwing it all in a bin. You know, here we're not going to, we're not actually going to play with you, but we're going to give you a whole messy toy box, and some of the toys are broken. Go, f- you put it together. Basically, mm-hmm. is how it feels. It's, it's not a satisfying piece of cinema. Honestly, no, I, I, I'm I'm increasingly convinced that like, just because of how unfocused and how unsatisfying hmm. every part of the story is, like every part of the story feels like poorly laid out, or it doesn't feel like we're really building to the big moments in a way that actually gives them weight or mm-hmm. or texture. Um, this I, I, I this might I think be my least favorite MCU movie. It's it's down at the bottom. It's for sure. it, it's these, not completely these... unwatchable or anything like that, but yeah, it's these... just not. I got depressed watching yeah. it. For for the most part, these things tend to function as yeah uh, you know, shiny bubbles. They're, yeah, they're two just, and a half uh, three star entertainments. You know, just, you know, big slick entertainments that interconnect these gigantic narratives. See but it don't in a really, matinee but, with yeah. your kids, and you'll. Feel like you got your money's worth, kind of thing. Few you know? of them have anything of interest to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like when they do, those are the better ones. Uh, yes, I feel like um, I feel like Iron Man three got into that character deeper than any of the other movies. Yeah, um, Black Panther Black actually Panther had, actually had, had a lot of world issues. Li- li- yeah, some yeah. actual real world issues. Uh, Eternals had these like big heady sci fi ideas kind yeah. of buried in this. Like the superhero stuff is the least interesting part of Eternals. Yeah, it's like weird science fiction stuff. That's By really far, cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, some of some of them are just like functional entertainments yeah like, like the, spider-man's like Ant- a functional entertainment Ant-Man and the wasp it's just it's just a little superhero yeah. heist movie type thing it's fun yeah. i enjoyed watching These, it that's uh, all it is they're not great they're not bad uh I'm, I'm frustrated by how shallow they tend to be mm. and more so the high profile that shallowness gets yeah but that's not the film's fault that's the profile yeah uh yeah, these last few feel like just bad movies. Yeah. They're just not, they're not, and no thought is being put into these things. They're just yeah. sort of lazily now plopping them out. Yeah. Or, or they twice think, in a row now that it, they've lazily plopped these things out. It doesn't out. feel like they have no thought. It feels like they had a thought and then stopped there. They didn't develop yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, yeah. We have a, okay, so here's this guy, Gore the God Butcher. He's mad at the gods because they're not actually taking their jobs as gods seriously. They're just going around fucking around the universe. And then we meet Thor, who's been going around fucking around in the universe. Is that going to connect no how did you not develop that those guys who have something to say to each other and they don't gore should have something to say to jane foster like when when there are so many apt ways to compare your movie to star trek 5 the final frontier (laughs) and quality should be one of them and final frontier comes off better Oh God! And we just did—we right. just did like a big long podcast on our Patreon about Star Trek V: The Final Frontier, about how it's a shabby movie and there's a lot of things that don't work, but it does have some interesting yeah. ideas. It does well, have some good dramatic moments in it. Another, I can't what? say that about Thor: Love and Thunder. Another, another sort of recent sort of plop out was uh, the I forgot—I even forgot about the, the Black Widow film. Oh yeah, Black Widow got a film. It's like oh, that's yeah. a little that's, late, that's, isn't that's, it? Was a little nothing. Also, the character had like died in the timeline. Yeah, already, character so. died, and like we kind of were just filling in a couple. Of the Gapster story and I like some of that movie I like mm. the supporting cast in that movie I like Florence Pugh in that Florence movie. Pugh was great and then she came back in the Hawkeye series and she stole the whole series she's amazing <laughs> oh Florence Pugh is in the Hawkeye yeah, series yeah she shows oh, okay. up yeah she's really really fun her yeah. and Haley Steinfeld that's really their show oh god it's so much fun you should actually you should watch it you might think that you might like that one because it's more character centric take away the, the superhero stuff just put them in a show together there's not Have... that much superhero stuff in it it's mostly just like gang oh, violence and like right. shooting with bows and arrows and stuff it's actually in many respects that's my favorite Haley Steinfeld so should come back as Emily Dickinson. And... 
<laughs> Florence Pugh should play her character from Lady Macbeth. And they yeah. should just have an affair, and that'd be great. I suspect they're building to, like, one of the things they're building to is uh, there's a comic series called Young Avengers, which mm. is about uh, various, oftentimes Teenaged they have a character. Yeah, very, right? many, oftentimes they have a connection to various superheroes. Mm. Like, like teen, teen Hulk, Teen Hulk, yeah, that like, kind of stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So I suspect they're building up some of those characters. So like we're going to get Haley Steinfeld mm. and Florence Pugh and so, so on uh, in a movie. And I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Those are great actors. They're, they're planning out more of these Marvel films. I'm, I mean, I, I've never really looked forward to a lot of these things. But now I'm kind of, after leaving Thor Love and Thunder, I'm mm. now dreading them a, a skosh it's like, like oh I, is, it, is, is it exciting anymore to this, see what's going to come next yeah, yeah. and, and it's going to get exciting again when the house of cards topples yeah. <laughs> when the moment finally happens where these things actually start to shrink in estimation yeah uh, the next one sounds like a disaster. It's, oh, an, it, uh, it's another Black Panther film. Yeah, but it's obviously... But, uh, uh, like, but like, like, A, the... Chadwick lead, Boseman Chadwick Boseman away. died, yeah. and uh, I think they had to... But there was a lot of like behind-the-scenes stuff about how it was which most unpleasant. films can overcome that kind of thing, yeah. but it doesn't bode well. Uh, and yeah. I, I know they're going to redo Blade uh, in the near future. Um, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. S- some of the others are coming up. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what else yeah. they have coming up. Um uh, they, okay, they got they Iron got, Heart as I think I think it's, it's going to be a TV series I'm not sure okay I know it's, it's, keep, like, well, it's hard to keep track yeah there's, 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 there's uh, the Marvels there's going to be a new Miss Marvel slash uh, Captain Marvel movie oh I don't know about that one yeah yeah, yeah. there's uh, yeah that's they're going to do it uh, okay good, good for them <laughs> good for them yeah uh, there there seems like less reason to pay attention and uh, it's and I think a big part of it is. They haven't said that they're building to something. They haven't been, you know, mm-hmm. using their stingers as advertisements the way they have. In and the past. I wouldn't care about that if these movies felt like they exactly. worked on their own. Exactly. Like if but these they, movies were satisfying as their own entity, they're, they're gonna, not right. Now. I'm going to compare these last couple Marvel movies to the last couple Fantastic Beasts movies. Yeah, that's actually uh, pretty apt. The Fantastic Beasts movies uh, were not based on books, but they're written like some of those Harry Potter movies mm-hmm. where they're trying to rush through a lot of big, important details. Yeah. And even though they're not based on books, there's a lot of really important details now that they're rushing through. So the movies are really shabby and they fall apart and you can't, mm-hmm. you have trouble following them. They're bad movies. They just feel, they feel like world building in search of a story and not the other way around. Yeah. yeah. You know, like where we're telling a story and it happens to build a world we're interested in. So yeah, the, yeah, I feel like they're trying to give us the portent of world building mm-hmm. without bothering to tell a story. Yeah. Or do character stuff. Yeah, you have to tell a story we're interested in. And here's the deal. I know you've already laid the groundwork. After a while, you do have to remind us because franchises cannot coast mm. on the success of earlier installments for long. And, and maybe Eventually, they fade out. If you don't mm. keep the... the you, can, you can have... You know, the, the quality can dip a little. But eventually, it needs to bounce back. Or we're going to lose interest. Or at the very least, we're going to lose respect. And that's not a good place mm. to come from. So... Not a good double shot of MCU lately. I haven't seen all of the uh, Miss Marvel TV series, so about half of it. Mm. I like it, all right. but movie wise, it's been kind of a yeah, kind I, of a I, letdown this summer. I haven't yeah. seen any of the TV shows. Maybe they're spreading themselves a little thin because they got all these other TV shows. I think. Uh, I think honestly, when I was watching Thor: Love and Thunder, and I'd seen, I said, I haven't finished Miss Marvel yet. I haven't had the time, but again, I like it. Mm. Um, Moon Knight felt cheap and poorly developed which is not a great way to go but Hawkeye was really great Loki was really great WandaVision was really great they're actually quite good for the most part and I'm watching Thor Love and Thunder and one of the things that I'm thinking while I'm watching this is 
you know, there's so much poorly developed shit in here that you have two options. Mm. You either strip it all away and tell a more cohesive and focused story, or you should have made this like a six episode series. Like, and put, then you could have actually there, and yeah. then you could have actually like dedicated a whole episode to what Jane Foster is going through, and mm. then it would have had that weight, and we would have had more patience with it because mm. we would have known what that we were gonna have more time. Yeah. And I, because I again, think... these are based off of serialized comic books. They have the time I, I understand and the movies that, don't. But I feel like a movie, even a two hour film, mm-hmm. Could have those moments. Sure. There, there could easily and skillfully be put in. Yes. Natalie Portman is a talented actress. So talented. She, she, can, she could act it. Uh, Chris Hemsworth is actually a very funny guy and actually has a lot yeah. more range than I think his handsome visage might, mm-hmm. might uh, belie. I feel like there's many better written, better acted scenes mm-hmm. that could have communicated all of that. That Taika Waititi and the the machine that is powering his film you know what? Uh, hadn't just didn't have the interest in doing you know one thing that kind of annoyed me when I was watching this movie and i realize not everyone's experience is the same but i don't think it's telling this particular story very well mm. There's this whole thing about how Jane Foster is at death's door for part of it, you know? She yeah. like stops being Thor and she goes back to someone who is dying. Other than having some bags in her eyes, she's got a lot of energy. She's very quippy. It's, like it's, it's, it's mov- movie cancer. But like yeah. it never. But that undersells the the drama, doesn't it? Mm. Like it's and it's giving Natalie Portman a, a deservedly so Oscar winning performer, like a genuinely great actor when the material is there. Yeah, she, uh, she, just she's, she, she's good when the material's good. When the material, yeah. she's great in Jackie. She's really good in Black Swan. She was great in Closer. She can be a really good actor. Uh, here. She's she's giving quippy shit, and it just it, even the even the serious drama that she gets to play doesn't play as serious. This doesn't work as a movie. There's mm. I'm not saying it's I, I'm not aghast at how unwatchable it is or anything like that, but it's sloppy. The visual effects don't seem you know uh, very convincing, which mm. is something that you should be able to at least to rely on in these. Uh, yeah, it just doesn't work. Mm. And I'm I'm happy to move on. So let's, <laughs> let's do it. A different thing. Let's talk about another fantasy adventure. This one is a Netflix premiere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an animated film called The Sea Beast, which is basically I'm going to give you the elevator pitch. What if Moby Dick, but the whale is Godzilla? I was going to say, um, what if uh, how how to train your Godzilla? Because uh, mm. there's all this uh, film bears a lot of story similarities to How to Train Your Dragon, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, this was directed by. Let me look up the director's name. Um, it's, uh, is it Williams? It's Williams. Chris Williams. Uh, Chris Williams is yeah. his name, and Chris Williams was a Disney guy for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he uh, co-directed Big Hero Six and a couple of uh, the movie Bolt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he so he's done a few feature films for Disney. He was lured away from Disney. To make this film for Netflix, uh, and this is a big A animated production. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about uh, a okay. I have a weakness for the Master and Commander shit. Uh, where it's a lot of a, Master a and Commander shit, of, isn't it? Uh, just the the ranks and the people on the ship and the details of the three masted mm-hmm. shaling ships and going you know, preparing yeah. for broadside and firing the cannons. And I'm drooling and drooling yeah. and having a great old time. That's the other uh, elevator pitch. Yeah. It's Master and Commander with monsters. With monsters and yeah, awesome so it's, pitch. It's, so these and it's a great uh, pitch. we have these really charismatic characters. The captain is played by Jared Harris and he's got the eye patch and he's yeah. like a little Ahab kind of a character. Yeah, you've got a heroic uh, hunky guy played by Carl. Urban and he's mm. great. He's, yeah, he's the one, he's the one who's like chucking the harpoon from a plank on the prow, yeah. and uh, 
they fight sea monsters at behest of uh, it's not explicitly England, but it's the English crown. Yeah, uh, it's and the, the the royalty. And yeah. they have, and they're all legends because they fight these sea monsters out yeah. at sea, and we get to see plenty of extended sea monster fighting sequences, which are fucking awesome. I actually really uh, I, th- this this one thing cool thing about this movie where uh, you want this is a kids movie, it's an animated movie, uh, it's CG animated. Pretty good. I've seen like more detailed stuff, but they have a consistent style and they they make it work. Mm. Um, this is one of those movies where oh, the, we're gonna fight all these monsters and then we're gonna find out that the monsters aren't as monstrous as we thought. Mm. And here's what this movie does that I think other movies rush. The first half of the movie is all the monster fight and action you could want. <laughs> actually, like the opening of this movie is basically we are there's a ship that's being attacked by a giant monster. And this other ship comes in to save them, and they fight the giant monster, and you get to see all the cool action stuff, and, and they're and raising law, the like sails. They, yeah, and it's not not in a tiresome way. It's no. actually a detailed sort of the, way. It's, and... it's not rushed. It's clear. The mm. stakes are clear. The threat is 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 clear. It is impeccably well done. And again, if you were just looking at this as oh, that's a bad sea monster, they're fighting the sea monster. All oh, that shit's awesome. Mm. They don't introduce the idea clearly anyway. That the sea monsters are misunderstood and that the heroes that we've been fo- following are wrong until about halfway through the movie. Mm. Most other movies jump into this pretty quick. How to, uh, How to Train Your Dragon jumps into it pretty yeah. quick. Even something like Dragonheart, which also has a lot of the DNA that would oh, form yeah, this yeah, movie. For sure. You know, uh, that's that, a, a dragon movie from the 90s. Yeah, and... Dennis Quaid plays a guy who uh, hates dragons. He's been hunting dragons and he's killed all but one dragon and that dragon ends up befriending him mm. in an uneasy truce and they end up saving yeah, the day together. T- talking dragon played by Sean Connery. But one of the problems with that movie is that it's the last <laughs> dragon. We don't see any other dragons in that movie. We mm. don't get any of the cool, exciting business even though it is, in retrospect, tragic. It rushes that part. Here, we get to actually spend some time in the world that these characters initially know, where they are the heroes. And we get to see that, and we get to tell that story in this very Errol Flynn, Captain Blood, but with mm-hmm. actual dragons kind of way. And it's kind of awesome. And then halfway through the movie, when the Carl Urban character and a young stowaway named Maisie, played by Zerus Angel Hathor, um, when they actually end up on an island with this giant red monster that they thought they were hunting, but is actually kind of starting to treat them like it's pets. Mm. Um, it's earned that. And yeah, it actually yeah. doesn't play as this like clunky contri- contrived plot device. It actually is them gradually realizing we have been wrong about everything. This is a little girl whose parents were killed by sea monsters. Mm. And she's the first one to realize maybe my parents were wrong. And there's actually a moment where she feels the weight of that. And it mm. it's, Good storytelling. It's good storytelling. Um, The little girl character isn't quite as annoying as you'd think she would be as a construct. (laughs) No, she's she's a little bit of of that kind of uh, Mm cookie-cutter, precocious movie child's character. Everything she says and does is right, that kind of thing. It's a little little bit of of obnoxious, but she she doesn't go over the line. She tiptoes up to it, but she is still tolerable. And I liked the relationship she had with the Carl Urban character. Mm -hmm. They actually got along in this antagonistic sort of way without getting into sort of that treacly family-like warmth. Yeah. It's like, Oh, you're my you're my Ersatz dad. No, I'm not going to be your dad. I'm a gruff like, guy. It's like an older brother kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, actually, no. I, I I didn't get that sort of family thing. It's just, oh yeah. wait, she's like part of the crew. Yeah, she's just another member. Of the, like she's learning how to do this. Yeah, and he's you're learning probably how right. To sort yeah. of learn a little bit more of command 
uh, you know, in, in this scenario, because he's not a, he's not the first mate. Marion Jean Baptiste, I love her character too. She yeah, was the first mate. Yeah, and then uh, Jared Harris plays uh, Captain Crow, and mm-hmm. Captain Crow is very clearly based off of Ahab, mm-hmm. uh, the fighting this giant monster that uh, Carl Urban and mm-hmm. uh, the kid befriend, uh, like took his eye, and like we actually see. I actually like how they play that character, where initially he's actually torn between his obsession with killing this monster and his responsibility to his crew and mm-hmm. to doing the right thing. And initially he's tempted, but he decides not to. And it's only when Carl Urban and the kid are off the ship uh-huh. and he doesn't have anyone kind of tethering him to ethics that he steps over the line and mm-hmm. becomes that Ahab villain character. And that's rather well handled, yeah. actually. Uh, the movie's about two hours, so it actually... That we talked about that opening sequence. I think it's just taking its time. Yeah, uh, a lot in a good of, way. I in a great way. I've, I have one of a complaint about a lot of modern screenwriting that I've had is that it it rushes things. Yeah. They, uh, films are too eventful. Yeah, um, we're giving you the gist of everything. Yeah. We're not giving you these moments where you just get like here's a moment that you just don't get a lot in like mm-hmm. a, like um Luke Skywalker just looking at the twin sunset. Let's just enjoy that for a second. You don't yeah, get that. That's not a real thing. Like a, you don't get to a big, see that. Big, well, it's, We're it's have a, a good, good moment of sort of a spectacle, but it's yeah. also kind of an emotional moment. There's a little bit of music in that, this, that Star Wars This is scene. something that Thor Love and Thunder does really, really poorly. Anytime there's something really fantastic mm. in it, we breeze past it. We don't get a chance yeah, to appreciate right. it and take well, in the I, wonder of that's, it. That's that's most of the Marvel films, though. Well, I, I think just that's a problem all, all after the, a while. It's, well, and I think that kind of filmmaking is harming the way a lot of people talk about those movies because everything is happening so quickly Mm. we're only keeping up enough to get information rather than moments or tone or subtext like for example Uh, I I would say like if you really want to like if you're really interested in Thor Love and Thunder you can we read the Wikipedia page and get the gist of it. Yeah, the yeah. storytelling, mm. the actual conveyance of all that information is the shabbiest part about it. Yeah, if you just but need I, the I but like... people are, people are talking about like oh I don't want to see this movie because I know how it ends. It's not about the information it provides mm. to you. It is about the storytelling that yeah, gets so you there. I feel and like here's uh, a movie that cares about that storytelling. The sea beast. Yeah. I, I feel like because so many people are being raised on information based storytelling, here are the plot beats. Here are how these people feel because they're saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. Here is what this movie about is about something very simple. And we're going to say it out loud that it's, it, uh, robbing people of their ability to analyze and have sort of a smaller moment mm-hmm. where they can think about what the movie is about a little bit mm-hmm. or analyze what a symbol them. might yeah. mean. Yeah. Uh, and as such, when you know, I've, I've seen like younger writers who are trying to say, wait a minute, but they don't give us this information. How come they didn't fill it in? It's like, well, the movie, that's part of what the plot of the movie is about. Yeah. Uh, how come they didn't say it out loud in dialogue? And I've heard people complaining about something like Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. which is actually just an adventure film. It's That's a monster not, movie. It's a monster it's, movie. The and first the, Jurassic Park is is uh, uh, the island of Dr. Moreau, but instead of creating uh, half man, half monster, he's just created dinosaurs. It's the same yeah, fucking movie. But because there's so little information glut yeah. in that movie, people are saying, this is slow. Yeah. There's not a lot going on in something like because Jurassic Park. Spielberg is actually more interested in making you feel Feel, feel what it would be like. About Here's what things. it would be. It's not about conveying yeah. and now the T-Rex is attacking them. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to slow this all the way the fuck down. 
you know what's coming, mm. you're going to feel every second of suspense and terror and all the little weird details you'd only notice if you were actually there and in the moment. Mm. Like, I'm not... I see so many action movies. I think we are just talking about this in other podcasts. I see so many action movies where they put all of this effort into all these action sequences and the overall effect that it has on the audience is just giving you the gist of what happened. Yeah, yeah, I want to feel what it would be this like. Is, a, uh, a car chase should not be boring. A car chase <laughs> should be... the most boring thing in a movie. Exactly. A it's so perfunctory for the most part. But in real life, if you or I were in an actual car chase, mm. even like not like you know, Mad Max Fury Road kind of thing, but just like Driving a conventional streets, everyday yeah. car chase, like as if there is such a thing, but you know what I mean, like an actual plausible car chase like you see on the news, that would be terrifying. Mm. That would be genuinely frightening. You don't know what's going to happen to yeah, you. You I, don't know what's happening next. Mm. You don't the traffic conditions are, ter- are scary. And that is something that so many movies treat in a perfunctory way. Yeah, and yeah. again, bringing I, it back I, to I, the sea beast, they actually care about I, those I, feelings. Yeah, I, I've, I've seen Jurassic Park, and I've seen yeah. the new Dra- Jurassic Park Part Six. Mm-hmm. Those movies come from different planets. Totally they're, they're, different planets. They're not alike at all. No, they're so uh, fucking shabby. That new one, actually, it's, it's like it really it's, feels and, cobbled together. From and, spare and there's parts. so much in it. They're just yeah. keep throwing all this crap at you. Yeah. The Sea Beasts remembered. Yeah. That if you're going to tell an adventure story, you need a sense of adventure. Yeah. You need a sense of uh, how this world operates. So there's a lot you need to introduce, especially if a lot of characters mm-hmm. give them each they a do. little bit of a moment, pace out that, those introductions, wait until we kind of live in the world a little bit, mm-hmm. and then get into the nitty gritty of the plot. Yeah. We don't need to have so much information thrown at us. So the Sea Beast was weirdly exhilarating yeah. in how restrained it is, and it's just a sea monster adventure picture. It's actually, in, in many respects, as we mentioned all the movies, it kind of feels like. It kind of feels like mm-hmm. Moby Dick. It kind of feels like Dragonheart. It kind of feels like how to train your dragon. The story itself is a little formulaic if you just boil it down to the bullet points. Yeah. It is so handsomely, effectively told that I don't care that it feels a little familiar in the story department because I feel like the journey I was on was distinct. Mm. And I really hope people actually, I've heard almost no one talking about this. I hope people see this. this. This reminds me a little bit. It's it's very different vibe. Mm. But in terms of the way that Netflix kind of dropped it out there and no one saw it, but then eventually people started talking about it more, I'm hoping this has the same impact as a movie like Klaus did. Oh, there you Klaus go. is yeah, a wonderful animated film animated from Netflix. Film from that, yeah. And that's, it's much more gorgeously animated, I think, than The Sea Beast, which is a very nice-looking movie, but it doesn't have like this sort of that's exquisite magical, attention to detail yeah. that Klaus does. But... Klaus was a movie that they basically dumped, and yet everyone who watched it goes, this movie is wonderful and magical. Mm. And I'm like, it is, and I really hope it doesn't get forgotten because it's on Netflix and everything in there is a drop in a bucket. Uh, And I hope the same thing for the Sea Beast. It kind of just fell out of there. You might not have even noticed that it was out. But please see it. It is so lovely. It is so wonderfully well done. It is totally good for kids, but as, like, if you like... We compared it a bit favorably to like some Marvel movies. If you like that kind of adventure, you'll like this movie. It's mm-hmm. a lot of wonderful attention to detail, good characters, fun monsters. It's solid. Mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. Solid. <laughs> I liked it a In lot. In the 70s so way. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. There's another animated movie that went straight to streaming, and I missed this one. Okay. Uh, and then this one, uh, Beavis and Butthead mm-hmm. uh, do uh, Not America, The Universe. Yeah, um... Beavis and Butthead uh, are strangely important figures 
for uh, for people of a certain age. Name um, a more iconic duo. I'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're no brothers grunt. Uh, <laughs> if you remember the brothers grunt on MTV. Uh, Name a less iconic duo. I'll wait. And the brothers grunt were more than just a duo. They were a whole monastery. Uh but, uh, yeah, Beavis and Butthead got their start in Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Festival Animation. They were on Liquid Television on MTV, which was an yeah. animated uh, shorts, sort of experimental program. Uh, and they were made by Mike Judge. Uh, Beavis and Butthead were stereotypical teenage idiots living in Texas. Yeah. Uh, they did things like play frog baseball. Uh, they they yeah. would uh, hold, you know, hold firecrackers in their hands yeah. until they exploded. It was very much in yeah. that uh, sort of the 90s, uh, starting maybe with The Simpsons. Mm. People started pushing like animation in terms of we're going to show a much bodier, like, a, a much more content, edgier yeah. version of America uh, did, than what we would see in live action sitcoms of the era. Did yeah. you ever go to Spike and Mike's Sick and Twisted Festival of Animation? I only, I've only been to it uh, when they did it at Comic-Con, but I've been to it at okay. Comic-Con a couple of times. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to go like a couple times back in the glory days of like the mid 90s yeah uh, and that, it's exactly that, and what it sounds it, like it was indie animation that was often uh, sometimes not even complete cartoons yeah. to get sort of animatic oftentimes incredibly violent or sexual they're basically uh quick spurts of creativity that are trying to grab your attention any mm. way they possibly yeah, can t- totally really yeah. gross yeah a like lot of really said, wonderful things have come stuff. from it a lot of things that are merely gross have come from it yeah yeah uh but yeah beavis and butthead is yeah. part uh, of that generation uh, craig mccracken who uh, got a lot mm. of shows on um uh, uh, cartoon network mm-hmm. got his start in sick and twisted uh, yeah, look up No Neck Joe at some point, if mm. if you dare. Uh, yeah, and Beavis and Butthead got started there with... Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the, the whole idea is they're, they're idiots, they speak a little bit gross, they say asshole, and they, you know, and they fart. And, well, you know, and the other uh, thing that has kind of been dropped lately, people don't talk about as much anymore, is when they were initially on television... Uh, they took kind of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 tactic and they would watch music videos well, uh, from MTV was, and comment on them while they were playing. I, I was going to get to that because when they were ported over to MTV and they became uh, Beavis and Butthead, the TV mm-hmm. program, yeah. MTV had a mandate. There had to be a music video element to uh, any show they had. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, there's these two idiot guys who sit around and watch MTV. Yeah. Uh, Four idiots who were sitting around watching MTV. It was this yeah. weird meta commentary in, in Beavis, Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. And Beavis and Butthead became the face of Gen X. And if millennials mm-hmm. think that boomers dump on them, uh, Gen Xers got it on the chin a lot. Yeah. Uh, we were the loser generation. Uh, the, we were a bunch of wasteoid slackers. Who that would be according to all of the newspapers. Yeah, it's know, like Time Gen- magazine would have a thing about it. Like Generation X, yeah, the slacker. The slacker generation. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's what Beavis and Butthead represented. And that's going to happen uh, over and over again. Generation A or whatever, if we just run the gamut back to it or whatever. I, I saw a teenager right from Gen Z wrote something. It gave me a lot of hope. Where uh, they're talking about millennials, like teenagers, saying mm. millennials, gosh, all they're talking about is like pop culture stuff. Like, oh, I'm a Hufflepuff. Do a line of coke and grow up. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's like, oh, great, great. We have we have a fresh new take on things. <laughs> Thank you, young people. You'll save us. Uh, but Beavis and Butthead uh, chugged merrily, merrily along on their own TV program for a while. And then in the, the mid-90s, they had their own feature film, Beavis and Butthead Do America. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode of the show, just bigger. Yeah. It's a fun and, movie, and it's it's fun because uh, Beavis and Butthead themselves are sort of amusing characters. Uh, they're they barely perceive the world around them. Yeah, they only understand things in how they relate to 
nachos, music videos, and boobs. Like that's yeah. that's all they're concerned. They're, ju- they're with. just horny kids. Yeah, they're horny kids. Yeah, uh, they're just you- horny teenagers. It's like, oh, like girls are attractive. I would probably like, like that. Uh, to interact with them in some way. And also, I really like guar. Like yeah, that's kind yeah, of all. That's all their heads are capable yeah, of holding the, inside of them. Great yeah. quote from Beavis: you're, "You're sitting around watching MTV music videos all day, and you're wondering, like, why am I doing this? And then a guar video comes on, and you're like, oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, and, and so their, their quest is to just sort of drift out into the world, drift around the things that they don't pay attention to, like humanity and decency toward instant gratification. Yeah. Uh, whatever form that There's, there's sort of this weird, relatable, animalistic tendency to Beavis and Butthead that I think is what keeps them alive in the Well, they're simple creatures, aren't they? Like, you can wrap your heads around them. And the other thing is, is that the, the movies and TV shows... They're, they're never really on their side. They know Beavis and Butthead are idiots mm. and not to be emulated and not doing good things, but they also know that they're kind of funny. Oh, yeah. You know? Like, it's okay to laugh. We're here to laugh at Beavis and Butthead. Yeah. We don't really care about their plight. No. Uh, their goal is to score in their language. Yeah. They, they want to have sex. Yeah. Uh, Beavis and Butthead do America. They thought they were going to have sex uh, when really they were being involved in like a spy plot. Like, no, they were, they were being asked to kill somebody. Kill somebody. Like, we want you, we want you to, we want you to do these people. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, well, we'll do them. Yeah. Do her? Okay. Yeah. Uh, and it's just all a big misunderstanding. Yeah. They travel across America and get a bunch of adventures. Mm-hmm. And I haven't rewatched that movie in a long time, but I remember even like major critics at the time being forced to go, okay, the movie's kind of, the movie's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Time has passed. A generation has gone by. Yeah. Beavis and Butthead don't quite have the same uh, appeal that they once mm. did. Uh, we Certainly still, not the cultural cachet. Yeah, yeah, this idea of a wasteoid sitting around getting all of their information and philosophy of life from the quick-cutting idiocy of MTV mm-hmm. doesn't exist because that version of MTV doesn't exist. Yeah, anymore. exactly. MTV is uh, like reality TV shit now. It's a totally different vibe. Yeah, and, yeah. and so the kind of D- quote dumb comedy characters that would well, be derived from a modern TV marketplace would look a lot different from Beavis well, and Butthead. What's, what's horrifying is when you think about it is they'd probably be watching YouTube and if you've done mm-hmm. any research into how YouTube algorithms work, Beavis and Butthead would mostly be watching misogynistic conspiracy they, videos. They'd be like yeah, white supremacists and Yeah, stuff. it's really uh, frightening, yeah. But uh, this is a nostalgia trip. Uh, Beavis and Butthead are, it's 1998 at the start of Beavis and Butthead Do the Universe mm-hmm. And, so uh, it's wait, so it's it's not like the present day. Well, hang on. Sorry. <laughs> we'll get there. There's time travel in the movie. Okay, you know what? Fair <laughs> enough. I, you've already sold me on the film. Yeah. Let's do uh, it. While, while they're touring like a NASA facility, uh-huh. uh, and they uh, they find that they can like work a joystick to make a gigantic phallic-looking rocket insert into like a, a big tube, and, uh-huh. and that looks like a penis, and they just do it, it over and over again, and they no, giggle I, a lot. I, I get it. I see what and you, I they see do what it so skillfully that uh, the NASA people are impressed. It's like, ooh, we've never seen anybody do so smoothly before. They're okay. mistaken for savants. The lead uh-huh. astronaut says, I need you two guys, and of course they mistake this as a come on. It's like, oh, so we get to have sex with her, and so they go on with yeah. all the astronaut training. They go into space. They get so annoying in space that the astronauts kick them out of the space shuttle and leave like leave them adrift, uh-huh. and they go into a black hole, okay. and they wake up in 2022, and they land on Earth in 2022. It's like... It's like Escape from the Planet we, of the Apes. We, we, no one wants to see Beavis and Butthead in their 50s. 
I kind of would, frankly. Well, I want to see like what are these. Not, I feel like it would be these, sad more than anything. It, else. It would be more like a Harmony Kareen kind of a movie. Well, yeah. <laughs> It'd be like Trash Humpers or something. <laughs> that that might be an interesting movie, but that's I don't not. Think, I don't think it's the brand. <laughs> no, it's not quite the spirit they're going for in yeah. this film. But they they land on Earth in 2022, and uh, I, this is to. Uh, I guess sort of get around the fact that they're uh, without a place. They wouldn't exist yeah. in the present day. They, they so don't make to, sense now. We have to skip over. And, like, and so there's a little bit of cute fish-out-of-water humor. Like, they hold mm. a, a cell phone for the first time. Smartphone, they've never seen one of those before. Mm. It's like they're looking at us, oh, cool, it's a TV. Oh, hey, could you take our picture? Sure. Hey, there's just some idiots on this TV. Oh, they fell off a pier. <laughs> oh, wait, we can buy stuff? We have infinite money with this? There's a sequence where they buy nothing but nachos. Yeah. It's like that because that's 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 that, the that limits of their imagination. Yeah. They they only know how to get nachos. Yeah, they're, they're kids. Mm. They're teenagers. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. You, you would think they'd try to go. It's like oh, they'll try to buy like pornography or something. But mm-hmm. No, uh, they probably like, wouldn't occur to them you can get porn on TV yet. Yeah, I guess like, that's so. probably it's like, like three por- steps over the line. Por- like, well, porn well, is whoa, still something you the, get in magazine form at the, the, the movie store. would end if they found out that you could like see porn on the phone. <laughs> that would just be the rest of the movie is just them looking at the phone until the battery died. It'd be great if there was a fade and they wake up and they're fifty. It's like <laughs> oh, the battery died. Just been watching porn for the last couple of decades. Well, I want to buy that yeah. phone if that's how that uh, battery works. Also, uh, when they're in the year 2022, uh-huh. they're visited by alternate universe versions of Beavis and Butthead. Okay. This, yeah, so there's a lot more fantasy stuff. Uh, a they, little bit little bit more uh, Bill and Ted, Save the World. What was it, uh, Bill and Ted? Face the Music. Bill and Ted, Face the Music, yeah. that kind of thing, yeah. I like Bill and Ted, Face the Music. That's a sweet film. I like it's, it's sweet. It's it's too cheap it's for its so own cheap. good. Like it's, they're, they're, they're trying to tell a bigger story than they, they had about they really, Someone really should have given them more money for yeah. that movie. But yeah, it's such a good it's such a good story. I don't care. It's, it's a fun story. And, yeah. uh, uh, but yeah, uh, Beavis and Butthead's alternatives are the smartest versions of themselves. And they're still not very smart. I would imagine not, yeah. And, uh, and one of the jokes is, no matter what parallel universe you're visiting, Beavis and Butthead have never had sex. Yeah, that sounds it's like right. they, they just can't can't seal the deal. That, and, that um, sounds 100% correct, yes. Uh, so that they're still concerned about having sex for the first time, wandering around 2022, yeah. fish-out-of-water stuff. And the plot is, because they're visitors from the future, government agents and the astronauts from the 1990s mm. who kicked them out are now mm. trying to cover up their existence. Right. That's the plot of the movie. Okay. It's... Not nearly as amusing as all of that I described. Oh, that's a shame. Uh, that sounds funny. There's, there's not. I don't want to say that Beavis and Butthead was ever infused with like a great deal of wit. The, the whole point is that it's not clever. No, but it was funny though. It, it was funny, and I feel yeah. like uh, they're trying to get a little too elaborate with the time travel stuff. Mm-hmm. That whole first portion where they're getting them to the the black hole and getting mm-hmm. to the present, that's like 30 minutes of this 80-minute movie. Uh-huh. They spend way too much time in 1998 getting them ready to get to the present. Mm. They should get to the present much sooner uh-huh. and have much more of that fish-out-of-water well, humor to kind of clash with the sensibility that they came from, mm-hmm. from 1994, whenever that first short was, and 2022. And I realized, that, and again, I haven't seen this one, but mm-hmm. based on what you're explaining to me, like we just talked about in The Sea Beast how that's a movie that actually works really, really well because it takes its time, but in taking its time, we actually get There's, the fun and game. Yeah. It's, it's still really, really exciting to get to that first really big turnaround plot point whereas it sounds like in Beavis and Butthead do the universe uh, all the really fun stuff would happen Mm -hmm. after they end up in the black hole it's basically like we want to see them in the present and waiting too long to get there is hurting the film Mm -hmm. 
Would you that, would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. Oh, uh, yeah. It's it's just really it's really disappointing. Mm. But at the same time, it's not. It's I kind of you kind of expect this thing to be disappointing because Beavis mm. and Butthead is over. Beavis, it's the, kind the, of a relic, the, isn't the it? It's very Beavis, much of the, the 90s. The, the, the time for Beavis and Butthead has passed. They even tried reviving it once already. Mm-hmm. And, and they're going to try reviving it again. It's like, yeah. no. No one really cared that much. Yeah. Be- Beavis and Butthead like, was a product. It's like when they tried to bring back the X-Files in the George W. Bush administration. It's like, no, that, that was about specifically the paranoia of the time. There are certain... When there's new conspiracies about, mm-hmm. you know, like the Iraq War and all this yeah. other government governmental mess. Yeah. The idea that the government is covering up like a psychic uh, is such really... small potatoes. It doesn't no. feel like it's relevant anymore. No. Like there's certain like I I know the temptation is to rehash reboot mm. uh, every Revisit, single pro- yeah, every single popular yeah. intellectual property, but. Sometimes they're very specifically mired to a certain time. I think Beavis and Butt is a great example. Doing it as a fish out of water makes sense, but just doing it straight today makes no sense at all. And I feel the same way about the X-Files. I feel like there's going to come a time when they reboot the X-Files, either as a TV series or as a movie. Mm-hmm. And the only way that could possibly make sense is if you said it in the 90s or earlier. If you want to do like yeah. a prequel, oh, like, like who, 60s, who, like who was doing the X-Files fun, yeah. in like the 60s and 70s, you could do that. But today, it does not work. Yeah, the sensibility yeah. of it is makes no sense in modern context. Mm. And there are other shows that are doing paranormal investigations in a modern context that are getting that done well. Mm. It needs to be set in the past. And yeah, that's, that's how feel... I feel about Beavis and Butthead. They, they kind of and... are only exist in the night that's the only time they make yeah. sense and, and it it's set in the in 1998 uh, i feel like they could have done a little bit more with that mm-hmm. uh, have some actual music videos heck i mean uh, <sighs> i miss I, watching really... beavis and butthead watch music videos yeah. that was the funniest part of it for me and, and here's the weird thing about beavis and butthead and their relationship to music they actually had pretty good taste you notice uh, that like sometimes they would watch music videos and they talk about how much it sucks mm. but sometimes they watch music videos and it would just be a good music video yeah. and they would have nothing funny to say they would just occasionally just cut to them doing air guitar and rocking out to it because yeah. they approved yeah you know? <laughs> so a seal of fru- approval from beavis and butthead was actually a pretty high benchmark it was actually and yeah. uh you know they, they wouldn't just lambast everything they saw but occasionally yeah. it's like oh man dude, i hate here's another video where like college guys are standing around in water and playing and singing about their girlfriend this is this is nothing there's nothing going on here like they're actually like they're, they're in, trying in to be idiot, critics idiotic way like making critical points yeah Ridiculous. All right, we <laughs> so, should move on. So yeah, uh, be- the time for Beavis and Butthead has passed, and that is certainly accentuated by hmm. Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Uh, okay, I'm going to move on to, and there's no good segue here because these things going to be more different. Uh, but this is one of my favorite movies I've seen so far this year. Okay, I'm so excited to tell you about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. Oh, this sounds like a you movie. Oh, it's so sweet though. Okay, so Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris uh, is based off of a book that had previously been turned into a TV movie starring Angela Lansbury called Mrs. Eris Goes to Paris. With like, an with, apostrophe. With an apostrophe, because that's how people in France would say her name. Uh, the new movie is directed by Anthony Fabian, and it stars Leslie Manfield from Phantom Thread. Uh, sorry, Manville. Manville. I, that was his mis- and, and many other things and many, You probably know her from Phantom Thread. She got Oscar nominated for Phantom Thread. A wonderful actor. Uh, takes place in the 1950s. She plays a, a cleaning lady named Ada Harris. And at the beginning of the movie, she is working multiple jobs. She's living alone because her husband uh, was uh, MIA 
in World War II, missing mm-hmm. in action. And she's been waiting for him to come back ever since, and her life's been kind of on hold for about, like, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the movie, the government finally comes to her and says, yeah, we found out your husband died. Oh. And uh, it's, it's very sad. We're sorry to tell you this. And she's starting to realize that she needs something to do now. She's, like, in her 50s. She needs something to pursue. She can't have her life in a holding pattern. And one of the relatively rich people that she works uh, for has in their house, and they have no idea how they're going to explain it to their husband because it's a big, wealthy purchase, a Christian Dior dress. Okay. When Mrs. Harris sees this dress... It's like it's like the light show at the end of 2001 a space odyssey. It's the most incredible <laughs> thing. It's the most incredible okay. thing she's ever witnessed. And this movie, the camera loves fashion. Loves it. Knows exactly how to film it. It looks otherworldly. It looks alive. It sparkles. And they do such a good job of conveying why Mrs. Harris will do anything for a dress like that. Okay. That's going to be really important to her. It's the and wonderful so, ice cream suit. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So like, she just wants, and not specifically that dress, she wants a Christian Dior dress. Right. And she realizes that in order to buy it in 1950s money, this is no small amount of money, she needs somewhere around 500 pounds, which is a lot. Okay. She's going to save up for it. She's going to take her time. She's going to do everything she can possibly do. She'll work more hours. She'll try to gamble at the track. She'll do anything she possibly can in order to finally make enough money. And the first thing... 45 minutes of this movie mm. is her desperately trying to do something for herself, stick up, actually pursue her dreams and things getting in her way. And it's super tragic. And you're like really rooting for her. And then it all comes together and she can finally go to Paris and she's going to get this dress. And then she goes to Christian Dior and she's wearing her house cleaning clothes. And they're like, no, 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 no. Oh. <laughs> you seem to have gotten lost on your way to Sears and Roebuck. So she doesn't, almost doesn't get in and then the movie actually goes in some interesting directions based on the original material the original material is she goes to uh christian dior she has enough money to buy a dress she picks out the dress she wants but what she doesn't realize is that it's couture you're not just taking it off the rack i'm a size nine Mm. you have to be there for weeks and get constantly fitted so that it fits you perfectly yeah she only had a budget to visit paris for one day she has nowhere to stay she has no money She's kind of screwed here, and a bunch of people basically, because of the innate goodness of Mrs. Harris, invite her into their lives, and she starts making people's lives better, and they make her life better, and it's really sweet and really, really wonderful. The new version emphasizes a little bit more of what's going on in this story in terms of class, and it really elevates it, and makes it not just like a sweet fantasy narrative, Mm -hmm. but actually is something with like some real thoughts about how the wealth works in this situation. Hmm. Like, for example, uh, <laughs> Isabelle Huppert plays... Uh, <laughs> she plays the grumpy lady who won't oh let Mrs. God. Harris get a dress. And she's perfect. She is so that character. She's absolutely perfect casting. Yeah, Isabelle Huppert is one of my favorite actresses. I know. She's absolutely <laughs> wonderful as the grumpy person who doesn't want the nice lady to get a dress. She's so fucking great. Uh, she she doesn't want because she's concerned that if we sell a dress to this cleaning lady, the Christian Dior brand will suffer. Okay. Meanwhile, the accountant at Christian Dior 
is looking at Mrs. Harris with like dollar signs in his eyes because she's the only client they have who's going to pay in cash. Because all the rich people either pay in credit mm-hmm. or they pay in uh, uh, exposure. Mm-hmm. So Christian Dior is on the verge of failing <laughs> because they only catering to the rich and the rich don't pay. So it's actually like kind of smart and thoughtful about that. And as the movie progresses and we see like uh, Mrs. Harris actually like pursue her dreams and actually like stand up for her ideals. And we actually see like kind of this ripple effect of the working class actually demanding what they want very reasonably. So from people who are not used to giving it to them and how that actually has a positive impact on everything. This movie is the perfect combination of the absolute visual wonder and chic of Phantom Thread and the lighthearted sweetness of Paddington 2. That is a fantastic combo. And it made me immensely happy from start to finish. Not in a false note kind of way where everything's just really sappy. Everything's really hard. But as a result, when Mrs. Harris is able to overcome it in some way, whether it's uh, luck, fate, pluck, gumption... Uh, or karma, whatever, uh, it feels so unbelievably wonderfully earned. This is an incredibly uplifting movie, and I don't feel like we have as many satisfyingly... There's a lot of movies that try to be uplifting, but they're just going through the motions. They just know what's... like Happy ending, right? That's good? Like No, no. This movie understands the work that goes into getting happy endings and making them satisfying, and it is so exquisitely put together from top to bottom. That I, re- I even if the idea of a cleaning lady in her fifties buying a dress doesn't sound like your kind of movie, I think you'll love this movie. It is just so unbelievably sweet in a very good way, in a way okay. that doesn't feel cloying or shallow. It actually has a point to it. It's so fucking good. Um, I what, love it. To what, what you're describing reminds me of Cold Comfort. Fawn. It's got yeah. Like it's, that. I'd okay. say that's like it's it's and I've never actually seen all of that movie, but. Based on what I know of that movie, it's that it's that vibe. Okay. Um, so yes, I love this movie to pieces. I highly recommend everyone sees it. Please see this movie. You will be happy when you see this movie, <laughs> and that's something that is hard to to quantify. Okay. But I just I, I, I it's again it's like Paddington two. I've never heard it. I've I prefer Paddington one to Paddington two. Oh, but okay. I ha- but I heresy. But but my point is this: I've never heard of anyone recommending Paddington 2 to somebody and someone saying, that was bullshit. <laughs> it, it might not be your favorite movie of all time, but everyone pretty much watches that movie and they go, you know, that was sweet. Mm. That was nice. That that worked. Remember when he made Marmalade in prison? Yeah, like that, I mean, it's not it's not nearly that probably. There's no talking bear or anything in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, but like it's that level of, you know what? Everything is nice and that movie convinced me for a minute. Like, <laughs> and the world is so full of shit. <laughs> that a movie like this feels like a godsend. And I'm not saying we, we want every movie to feel like this, but that's one of the reasons why a movie like this feels special. So I highly recommend this movie to everybody. I hope you see it. I think you're going to love it. Uh, I had a wonderful time. Mm. Uh, tell me about, uh, speaking of uh, 
costume pieces. Tell okay. me about Persuasion, based on a Jane Austen oh. novel, which I haven't read. There's there's a new Persuasion. There's a new yeah. Austen movie. Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't read Persuasion either. In fact, I'm a little underread on my there, Austen. There was a movie of it in the 90s, right? Am I crazy? There, there were so many movies of Persuasion. Okay. Let, let me see. Uh, really, I feel it, like it was look, a look prominent what, feature. Uh, I'll look it up. I'll look it up. You, look you, up what the last version of Persuasion I'll, Or the last um, big one, anyway, yeah. Uh, there have been a couple notable uh, Jane Austen adaptations in recent years. I really liked Autumn DeWilde's version of Emma. Still haven't seen that. Uh, uh, that one's really good. The one with Anya Taylor-Joy. Uh, s- sumptuous cake of a movie. <laughs> uh, then just recently, we had a film called Fire Island, which was Pride mm. and Prejudice ah. uh, set on Fire Island and, yeah. uh, with a, a queer couple instead of uh, Mr. Darcy and Elizabeth Bennet. Mm-hmm. Persuasion's a story I'm a little less uh, familiar with, so mm. this is a little bit of my my first induction. Uh, this is a new version directed by Carrie Cracknell. It stars Dakota Johnson mm. as the main character, uh, who is, like Jane Austen heroines, uh, very self-aware, very intelligent, mm. and uh, not so enamored of the notion of settling down as her sisters. She mm. has a couple sisters. Her father, who's played by Richard E. Grant in a rather brilliant bit of casting, uh, is very vain, and he spent so much of the family's money that they have to move. Mm. And there's a new family moving into their house. And uh, in sort of shuffling around, she is also reunited with an old love of hers that nearly she nearly got married to this soldierly guy uh, like about eight years ago. And uh, she's reun- about to reunite with him. She finally sees him. And, uh, you know, the romantic feelings stir again. There's a lot of best friends who give commentary. There's some uh, shallow sisters who are a little bit more concerned with hooking up. She has a tremendously handsome cousin, played by Henry Golding. Mm. That Henry Golding is not the love interest is a what? stupid and grievous injustice of casting. How do you fuck that up? She uh, wow. Instead, she uh, ends up trading barbs with this guy. Uh, this guy played by an actor named Cosmo Jarvis and. Mm. He is a brick. That's not a good start. He, he's a horse in human form. He, uh, <laughs> he is just th- this you know, handsome but kind of dunderheaded, uninteresting mm. character who is not at the same level as oh. the Dakota Johnson character. Now, the That's way they communicate that Dakota Johnson is... Uh, Anna is the character's name. Mm. The way they communicate that Anna is really uh, sort of smart and witty and, and mm. effete and erudite is uh, she spends most of the time, uh, most of her time on camera talking to the audience. Okay. She narrates a lot of what's going on. When somebody says something to her, she kind of gives side-eye directly to the camera. Got it. Uh, literally winking at the camera a couple times. Yeah, like in Enola Holmes yeah, or it's, a flea bag. I didn't watch yeah, Fleabag, but I know that's what Fleabag Yeah, that's, does, I know yeah. that's a feature of Fleabag. Uh, yeah. And... It's actually this very incredibly modern take, and we've had plenty of modern adaptations of, mm. of Austin as well. Clueless from the mid '90s—that's a, sure. a, a really notable adaptation. Oh, uh, speaking of previous adaptations, mm. uh, the most prominent adaptations of Persuasion mm-hmm. in 2007, there was a TV movie starring Sally Hawkins and Alice Crege. Ooh, okay, that's pretty cool. I haven't seen that. There was also a TV movie in 1997. Okay. Uh, starring Amanda Root and Kieran Hines, but mm. what was no I think what's noteworthy about that is I think I have to do some research, but because Jane Austen novels were such a hit in America, mm. it was a TV movie in Europe 
and it was theatrically released in America. That, that happened a lot. I right? knew there was a theatrical release of Persuasion Era. Some people okay. were saying this was like the first like theatrical release adaptation of Persuasion. I was like, no, didn't that come out in theaters? It did and it didn't. So no, and this go. one went to Netflix. So you know, well, you know, it was a prominent, re- prominent feature film in America, I guess. Uh, it is the height of frustration that Henry Golding, who plays the handsome cousin, yeah. is not the love interest. Yeah, uh, He seems at her intellectual level. They have a lot more chemistry yeah. as, as performers, because Henry Golding could have chemistry with a dented teapot. He's, he's a remarkably charismatic actor. Yeah, he really he, is. He's yeah. what, like, he should be James Bond. He, he could be He'd James. Be great he could James be Bond. he could be James Bond. He could be Atticus Finch. He's you well, know, he, yeah. he's. I think he could do any of. You know, I don't, have I, have, has he ever actually like? I've seen him be unbelievably charming mm. in a wide variety of. Well, not a wide variety because he's well, a, he was, not he was in Crazy Rich Asians. He was in Simple Favor, which and, is and amazing. He a, and he plays kind of a cat in a Simple but Favor. He's but he's very alluring. Good, yeah. in it. He's great. But like, but I've seen him be good in things. Has he given a great performance in anything yet? Not yet. I don't think he's had the chance I really. wonder if he actually has it in or should be give a great performance or just give like a movie star performance and there is no problem if he's just a, a, good, movie, a star movie star and not yeah. a capital G great actor that is I, I, not a problem we need mm-hmm. movie stars I feel that way about Tom Cruise yeah. I feel like he's given some good like great performances if, with the right material and the right director he can give a great performance for the most part the reason we go is because he's a good movie star yeah, he has he, that sort of charismatic uh, it quality he captures and, the screen and I feel yeah. I feel that Henry Golding has that as well very much so. and so when he's on screen in the precious few scenes he's in uh, everything comes alive for the most part, it's Anna wandering around, sort of complaining about her love life and, you know, describing the world around her, mm. spending some time with her girlfriends. There's a, a, a crisis moment when uh, one of her friends says, uh, they're sort of walking on this, like, I don't even know what it is. It's like, it looks like a dam. It's like this long concrete embankment of some kind. Okay. And she's like on a, a higher level and she says, catch me. And she falls off and she hits her head. Oh. So there's a big sort of crisis that she has a concussion and they have to okay. kind of stay around in this uh, one. Uh, Seems like a foolhardy thing yeah. to do. Something that I've liked about a lot of recent um, literary adaptations that take place in sort of uh, like Victorian England mm-hmm. or uh, very, essentially very Caucasian spaces yeah. is that the casting agents have uh, cast a, a, a much more diverse cast. Mr. Malcolm's List was another good example yeah, of this. Uh, yeah. Mr. Malcolm's List, um, the latest David Copperfield David oh, yeah, Copperfield yeah, yeah, movie. Yeah, was yeah. Also, that was a very good movie. I like that David yeah. Copperfield. Uh, and the, yeah, this we have a very diverse uh, cast of actors, uh, which it seems like it feels much more correct, especially with something mm-hmm. as frothy as Jane Austen. Jane Austen mm-hmm. writes uh, comedies, they're, they're yeah. supposed to be very they're social funny. commentary, uh, but they're funny. Yeah, they're, they're social commentary comedies. They play like musical comedies in a lot of ways. Yeah, and so I think it's because musical comedies take nowadays take a lot of their cues from stuff like Jane Austen. Like Jane, yeah, that's true. They were modeled after after yeah. Jane Austen. But Jane Austen writes these actually very light, very frothy books uh, that are meant to be kind of funny, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, when you put that in sort of modern cinema, you have to make it feel more modern. Yeah. It's not bound to its era. It's a genre. And yeah. it, it's actually very pliable. And, and even though many of the plot points in a lot of these movies are very distinct to the way that romance was handled in that era. Yeah. Uh, the majority of the stories are based on people with big personalities interacting with each mm. other. And you can remove a lot of the specific historical context and still take those characters and get a real movie out. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in fact, that, that's actually the, the quality I most admire about uh, yeah. this persuasion is is how modern it feels. Okay. It's, it's almost like 
uh, you know, Bridget Jones's Diary came out, and that's sort of a riff on Jane Austen. And now mm-hmm. we're almost oh, yeah, it's like Pride and it's like we're we're bouncing back and doing like re-riffing back in Jane Austen's time. Mm-hmm. It feels like they're sort of building on each other. So, so is, is, it, is it good then? Is no, it just, okay. it's not. Uh, it just has a good quality. Because okay. I, I like Dakota Johnson in this. I like sort of that self-aware quality. Mm-hmm. I wish she were a little bit more charismatic. Mm. I feel like uh, Dakota Johnson can't, she can bring it. Yeah. But she's not all the way... She's not always asked to. Yeah, she's not really bringing it all the way with this one. Mm. That her love interest is a brick, is an issue. That's that's a terrible thing. Because the central romance then has no... I'm not interested in that anymore. Yeah, you never... It's never a good sign when, like... We were just talking about this. We mm. reviewed... Uh, we have a podcast on our Patreon called Only the Best. We review every single mm. film ever nominated for Best Picture. And we reviewed the Best Picture winner, uh, Gentleman's Agreement. Right. Uh, which is uh, which stars Gregory Peck as a man who goes undercover as a Jewish person to figure out what anti-Semitism is like in America instead of doing what he should have done, which is asking a Jewish person to write that article. Uh, <laughs> the movie hasn't aged well in a lot of ways, but one of the... Meant, it meant well. It meant well, but it doesn't do well. No, and, it's, no. and even the people who made it were ultimately embarrassed by it. Uh, but one of the other problems with the movie is that he's got a central relationship with this like rich debutante who thinks she's far more progressive than she actually is. And he's got this absolutely wonderful, charismatic and romantic relationship with a co-worker. And in the movie, he ends up with the person he has no chemistry with. Mm. And you're like, what the <laughs> fuck is the matter with you? Have him end up with the person they have chemistry with. It's what you do. Whole movies have been re- reshot and re-edited in order to fix shit Change like this. The because, yeah, that's not... <laughs> we can see chemistry. We know when people aren't mm. right together. And if we don't, it, so, yeah, it's not it's, satisfying when it, uh, that's annoying. Uh, and, and then it starts doing these really illogical things. Like uh, she and uh, Anna and her paramour are having a, a conversation about sort of how well they get along. And he's been, uh, the reason he's been away so long is that he's been mm. at sea. He's a, mm. a, a naval officer. Okay. And he comes back and he's you know, sort of telling her about sort of life at the sea. It's, eh, it's kind of boring. You know, oh, yes, I guess I do these, what you could consider brave, but it's really just my job. And they're sort of talking and he turns to Dakota, jo- Dakota Johnson and says to her, you'd make a great admiral. And I just laughed. It's like, <laughs> no. <laughs> this character does not have admiral-like qualities. She's not commanding the screen. Did you see, uh, it's a? It's not strictly a Jane Austen movie, but mm. it's, it's, it's really kind of fun. Did you see Austen Land? I missed Austin Land. With uh, Felicity... No, Fel- she was on Felicity. It's uh, Carrie Russell. Car- <laughs> she was Felicity. Felicity. Yeah, she w- had Felicity, but it's not... Yeah. Uh, Carrie Russell plays a young woman who is obsessed with Jane Austen, and she saves up to have this like sort of role-playing vacation where you get to go to a really uh, you know really beautiful, posh... Mm. You know, uh, theme park. Th- it's kind of a theme park, but basically mm. you're just going to live out a Jane Austen story. Uh, and she falls in love with Brett McKenzie from Flight of the Concords, and it's very, very sweet. It's very, very sweet, and it's very, very funny. Jennifer Coolidge is in the movie. Oh. Jennifer Coolidge, ha- and this is a very funny actor, never funnier than she is in Austin Land. Uh, bold and statement, that's a, right. There's a whole bit where like this guy says, yes, I've just come in from the sea where we fought off pirates. Pirates invaded my ship. And Jennifer Coolidge asks him to his face, did you die? <laughs> <laughs> and it's the funniest fucking thing. We had to pause the movie because it was just the funniest fucking delivery of any line. And we just we keep interrupting each other in this house to this day. Like, what, did you die? <laughs> fucking amazing. Anyway, um, 
I saw a really great love story. Like a truly amazing, absolutely one of the better films, I've, another one of the better films I've seen this year. Hmm. I can say that twice in an episode, which is rare. Uh, it's a documentary, actually, and it's called Fire of Love. Oh, I, I really wanted to see this, it and looks, I missed it's it. It's so yeah. good. Okay, so Fire of Love is a documentary about two volcanologists. They study Spock species. And, uh, no, they study... There's volcano. They Vol- study volcanoes. Volcanologists. So. Well, it's actually both spellings are technically correct, because the right. word volcano stems from the word from Vulcan, Vulcan, which is a god the... who... That was how they described Vulcan volcanoes Vulcan. when they discovered the volcanoes. Vulcan, uh, also known as Hephaestus in Greece. Yeah. Vulcan was his Roman name. Indeed. Uh, but they're volcanologists. They study volcanoes. Their names were Katya and Maurice Kraft. Uh, and they didn't just read books about volcanoes. They traveled to volcanoes. They lived on volcanoes. They studied volcanoes up close. They took, like, I, I don't know the exact number, but what seems like hundreds of hours mm. of footage of active lava spewing volcanoes. They would cook on volcanoes just by putting frying pans on the rocks. Uh, they absolutely loved each other, but they probably loved volcanoes more. <laughs> and and the movie doesn't, this isn't like a twist, obviously it's history, but also the movie tells you within the first couple of minutes. And they died mm-hmm. studying volcanoes. They died in a volcanic eruption in the early 1990s. Um, it's like Grizzly Man, but the bear is a volcano. A, a little bit, but they weren't, they didn't think the volcanoes loved them too much to kill them. They <laughs> repeatedly say over the course of the film, we'll probably die studying volcanoes. We'll probably someday do something or be trapped in a situation where we are killed by a volcano. And there's actually all these incredibly sweet moments where they're talking about like, yeah, Maurice is a lot more cavalier. There's a bit where they're like on a lake of boiling acid and they get in a boat. <laughs> well, not, not Katya. I think Maurice does, but he ends up stranded on there. Cause they're like, ore dissolves. Oh and they just kind of stuck there for a while. Like, and he's talks about like this dream he has of canoeing down a lava flow. If he could just design a boat that would work that way. Like he's absolutely cavalier about it. And she keeps talking about how, like I keep following him like really closely when he does more dangerous things, because I know one of these days he's going to die doing this. And I don't want to be far behind him. And it's so sweet. <laughs> And so, but they, they're doing what they do because they love it. It's their, absolutely their passion. They go to a volcano. They get the most incredible footage. This is one of the most incredible looking movies I've ever seen. The footage of lava flows are absolutely otherworldly. They look like they're, they, they, they look like the planet is alive and glowing. It is absolutely fascinating. The image you see these giant, like fucking waterfalls of lava and these two people just casually walking in front of it and you're like, you, you maniacs! <laughs> you just don't walk in there. I know, but they do, constantly. And they talk about, like, they go, they study volcanoes, they put themselves in these incredibly death-defying situations and then they have to leave because they run out of money and then they write books about volcanoes and they do TV appearances about volcanoes and they make documentaries about volcanoes so they can make enough money to go live on a volcano again for a while. And this is their life. Sounds amazing. It's fucking amazing. It's absolute. It's it's romantic, but it isn't like it isn't twee because this is a working relationship, and it's ultimately rather heroic because as they 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 said there are two kinds of volcanoes. I think they say red and gray. Uh, red volcanoes are the volcanoes that have a, a visible magma flow. Okay. A relatively common, if not all the time, and those are the ones that are relatively predictable because they're constant. They're the 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 crack has already been formed, yeah, and they're just they're they're flowing down the way that they're flowing down, and so they're as safe as a volcano gets because you can predict more or less what's going to happen. 
I think they said the gray volcanoes are the ones that basically explode with the force of, a, of like a nuclear bomb. And just they're very like, sudden when there's no... The there's, pressure builds up, and that's, yeah, those are the ones that are you can You can see that it's coming, but you don't know exactly when. Mm-hmm. And what happens is, as those volcanoes start taking more and more lives, and they actually start dedicating their careers to trying to put together materials that governments can actually see that will actually convince them we actually have to take proper precautions mm-hmm. rather than just say, well, the volcano hasn't blown up before and then a whole bunch of people die. Mm-hmm. And so these people actually dedicate their lives instead to not just doing the volcano stuff that they love, but the volcano stuff that actually make the world safer. And so they <laughs> they end up dying heroes. Um, absolutely visually breathtaking. One of the most, like, You watch movies that are trying to create a visual spectacle using CGI Mm. or whatever format they have. Mad God used uh, stop motion animation, for example. Thor is using CG, whatever. People are trying to dazzle you. Uh, These people just took a camera up a volcano and came out with the single most like incredible looking motion picture I've seen in years. Uh, this is all like pre-existing footage. It's been cleaned up. It's gorgeous. If you ever have a chance to see this on the big screen, don't miss it. But even on a small screen, you will appreciate just how uncanny the imagery is here. Mm. And just how interesting these people are. And how they lived their lives their way. Like, they, they didn't compromise. They decided, they didn't like, mm. I like volcanoes, but I have to get a day job. Like, no, they made it their thing. And it is absolutely inspiring and 10,000 10, times romantic and incredible to look at. Awesome motion picture. Oh. Well, I'm sorry I missed it. I, I, I saw ads for it and I was really, <coughs> really looking forward to it. And I just never never made its way into my field right, we, got, we got two more movies and mm. you saw them and I didn't. Uh, right. Why don't we jump into the latest Claire Denis film? Claire Denis has a new movie. <coughs> Yay! It's uh, always, uh, always a cause celeb. Um, mm. A Claire celeb, if you will. Claire, a Claire celeb. Yeah, a Claire Denis. Uh, if you're familiar with Claire Denis, mm. uh, Claire Denis tells stories where uh, she doesn't give you... We were talking about how uh, too many movies are about being over-informed. Claire Denis mm. goes in the complete opposite direction. Yeah. Uh, deliberately under-informing the audience. And mm. it's actually not until late in her movies that you begin to realize how much information you've actually been getting this whole yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, a really cool feeling. S- sometimes uh, it's plot-like. Uh, mm. She made a film called uh, The Intruder, mm. which is actually a mystery film, and she actually uh, gives you like little bits of things that seem completely disconnected. Mm. And by the time you get to a certain point, you realize, oh, wait a minute, there actually are all of these connections that you didn't realize you had been making this whole time. I didn't see that one. Uh, Check that one out. Yeah, that one's really good. Uh, that's how I felt about White Material. Okay, that's a yeah. that's a that's a thriller about uh, a uh, a rich white family that refuses to leave a a country where there's a coup going on, <laughs> and uh, it does not go well. Uh, her latest, <laughs> but the material is like kept away from me for a long yeah, time. The, yeah, the film I saw of hers right before this was High Life, which mm-hmm. was a, a, her science fiction movie. Uh, which uh, it, it's another thing where we get a lot of sort of bits and bibs and bobs of information as we go yeah. along until we realize, wait a minute, these are all criminals and yeah. something horrible's happened to earth hasn't it yeah and like and then eventually you realize something horrible's happened to the crew and yeah, we're not 100% yeah. sure what so, it is for a long time either yeah, and, yeah. And a lot of really interesting things going on in high life i really liked high life uh this one is is a, a I guess you could call it her love triangle melodrama okay. but told in the same sort of way where we're actually getting a lot of information from little little bits of conversations and little tiny details um uh julia Binoche, and uh, uh, Vincent Linden play a married couple. Mm, okay. He's an ex-con, and uh, she uh, 
conducts uh, radio interviews. Mm. And they live in an apartment that's a little too small. Okay. There's, uh, and even though they're constantly really close together, you get this over uh, overriding sense that they're they're kind of isolated. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of time is like spent out on the balcony, for instance. Like they're trying to create this mm. separation. Uh, he has a child from a previous marriage. Okay. And he uh, has to take a long car ride across town to go visit his his uh, son. Okay. And he talks a lot about how he really enjoys that drive. He enjoys sort of being alone. Uh, the story, as it is, gets uh, kicks off when uh, she, Juliet, the Juliette Binoche character sees an old lover of hers, mm. like at a bus stop. And it turns out that uh, he is a friend of her husband. Mm. And just seeing him again sparks off this whole new uh, sort of wave of emotions in her. And she kind of goes about her life realizing or maybe justifying how miserable her life is in the idea that maybe this man, this re- the reentrance of this man into her life mm. will uh, sort of instigate a, a rather freeing affair, perhaps. Mm. Uh, it's, it's incredibly French. Uh, <laughs> re- recall that yeah. the French invented infidelity. Uh, Did they really? Yeah, it was. It was. It's a French invention. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's my joke. Um, okay, they made up uh, for so it. So yeah, uh, so yeah, he was an old friend of her husband's. Uh, he's opening like a sports agency. So they uh, actually, and because her husband was like a, an old rugby player, they all have like reasons to keep on hanging out and. The way she starts to kind of attach herself to this new man, it's it's unclear for a long time how much that is being uh, reciprocated, how much she's sort of stalking this guy, mm. how much her husband might be disconnecting or might actually resent this. And it all comes down to a lot of big con- uh, conversations and confrontations that are sprung from little tiny moments that we weren't realizing mm. we were witnessing as the film was going on. You looked like a character turns their head one way in one scene, and you barely even recognize that. That becomes a huge plot point later on, <laughs> uh, or, or at least like a huge moment of contention and this big yeah. sort of heated arguments that that are going to happen later in the movie. Uh, this is one of the like most meticulously adult films I've seen in a while. This is not something that's going to hold your hand. It deals with very complex adult emotions and adult scenarios that only grownups would recognize. Uh, the kind, the idea of what it takes to make a marriage work, uh, the way little resentments can breed from a long-term relationship, mm. and Claire Denis is interested in those tiny little resentments, and as they kind of grow and inter- interconnect, uh, I, I love the way Claire Denis makes movies because mm-hmm. it it has that sort of cathartic moment where you realize, and you don't even know that. You, when it happened mm-hmm. that you had all the information that all the clues had been laid out for you and they're all in your hands. Yeah. So when she finally comes to the conclusion, it's like, Oh, oh wait a minute. All of this makes sense. <laughs> I, I was a little confused or maybe what was that dragging? Was that all a mystery? Oh no, wait, it was all important information. Yeah. Um, I, I was reminded of the power of the dog in a lot of ways, although it's, mm-hmm. it's not as melodramatic as something like the power of the dog. Yeah. But you realize in that movie, how many details are being given to you along the way until you get to the point where when the big truths come out in that movie, you realize that all of the hints had been given earlier. Yeah. 
Well, Jane Campion is a lot more of a, um, like, compare. I don't want to say like operatic. Just she's a because she's actually very subdued. Uh, uh, but I, she, I feel like she's uh, playing a little bit more fairly Jane Campion mm-hmm. than Claire Denis, who is being very kind of coy, uh, but not in a playful sort of way, and in sort of a she trusts her audiences mm. to. Yeah pick up on what she's giving out. And mm-hmm. I feel like both sides of the blade, it, it really is trying to play fair with adults who recognize little moments. Uh, speaking of little moments, I mm. uh, audience, I, this, this is an audio only podcast, mm. but I want to put an image in your head right now. Mm. While Whitney was uh, talking about the film for, I, I don't know, maybe two minutes straight just now, <laughs> there was about a 45 second period where our new cat Dante was sitting on the edge of a couch, just kind of trying to reach out to Whitney. He's like, hey, hey, can I talk about the movies? Oh, can, I, can I talk about the movies? And uh, he's retreated now. And he, no, 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 no. It was just so cute. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt you because you were on a roll. But also, <laughs> I didn't want to like undermine what you yeah. were saying by like making it about something else and making it cute because you're making such interesting, salient points about film criticism. But while you were doing it, our cat, who's been a little skittish around Whitney, Whitney doesn't visit all the time, so Dante's still getting used to, to Whitney. It was like the closest he had come to like asking you to like hang out with him. And he's like, I guess he just likes it when you review Claire Denis films. I, I guess so. I guess there's a good yeah. thing there's another one coming out soon. Yeah. Look at, um, oh my god, he's this, fell asleep uh, standing up, sitting up just now. I, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure why the title of this film is at both sides of the blade. Uh-huh. The original intent was, uh, I remember when this was bought at the film festivals, and the uh-huh. uh, they were going to release it in America as Fire. I'm glad they didn't call it fire. Well, Blade Runner not, was taken, so they decided fiery. to call it both sides well, of the blade. the French yeah. title is, uh, let me, uh, let me mm. I'm, I'm going to, I don't get to do badly with a French pronunciation, okay. but uh, avec amour et acharnement. With love. Which is, uh, it's like, uh, with love and relentlessness. Okay. It was the original title. That's a better title. Both sides of the blade sounds like a thriller. Yeah, it, it it, it's, it's not yeah. a thriller. This is yeah. this, this is a, a, a melodrama. I, uh, it's the Claire Denis version of a melodrama, and if that yeah. sounds appealing to you, then yeah, go for it. I always loved it's it, it's you know only related because of the the word, but uh, how little the words Blade Runner have to do with the movie Blade Runner. A, a, they, Blade, they, a Blade Runner sounds like a, a weapons runner, like somebody yeah. who's trading weapons, but it has nothing to do. No, with the I, the idea robots. is that uh, hunting these robots is so dangerous. Like you're living on a you're li- you're running yeah. on a knife edge, and I'm like, that's some yeah. stupid shit to justify why you're calling this movie Blade Runner because it sounds cool. There is no Blade Running occurring in the course of this film. No, in fact, that's a dull ass movie. It's, it's really slow moving. I, I like the movie more than you do, but regardless, uh, it's <laughs> Blade Runner has never been a great I've, title for it. I've, I've gotten a lot of trouble for my hatred of Blade Runner. I, it's weird to me because I actually think I mean, you, you've seen the director's cut, right? Not like the original theatrical? I saw the director's cut okay. and, and I saw, uh, like, I, I've seen it twice and I think that's I fine. saw two different cuts and, and I hate them both. So. No, no, that's fine. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting that you need to see it again and again and mm-hmm. again in order to, yeah, you, you've given it a fair shake and that's fine, but the director's cut feels like it'd be kind of your movie. It's kind of mm. thoughtful and slow and unveils in, in itself in a kind of a non-contrived well, way. And it's here's, something... here's the thing. I like something that's th- slow and thoughtful, uh-huh. not something that's just slow. Uh, Blade Runner is not saying anything really particularly profound. It's not say it's not really examining the uh-huh. human condition. What if he was a robot? What are you saying with that? <laughs> Who cares if he's a robot? This is a dull story. 
We're gonna move on. Just dull movies. We're gonna dull. move on. Tell me, is dull. Clara Sola dull? Clara Sola is not dull. Ooh. Clara Sola is actually quite good. Okay. Uh, Clara Sola is a film from Costa Rica, uh, and Clara Sola takes place in. Uh, it's about a character named uh, named Clara. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me look up the last the name Sola. Uh, she's played by an actor named uh, Wendy Chinchilla Araya. Okay. And uh, she lives in a very remote village in Costa Rica, and she is developmentally disabled, uh, and she has problems with her back. Mm. Uh, I I think they specify exactly what it is, but uh, just she's in constant pain with uh, some back. She's middle-aged, and her uh, elderly mother is has set her up as sort of a, a a local prophet. She's a little bit of a tourist attraction. Uh, people come from miles around to this little modest church in this little village, and they ask her to bless them and sort of make sort of psychic predictions. Uh, she's also very good with the local horse. She's like a horse whisperer, and that's a, mm. another thing that sort of draws people to her. Uh, her mother uh, refuses to get her surgery for her back, mm. saying things like, this is the way God made her. I can't interrupt that. And... Mm. We can see the sort of this complex relationship where her she and her mother both believe that she has sort of uh, very holy qualities uh, mm. that play into sort of the local liturgy. But at the same time, there's definitely an exploitative uh, business angle going on as well. It becomes especially uh, sharp when whenever uh, Clara begins to display any signs of sexuality. She's very fond of uh, TV telenovelas. Mm. There's a lot of sexy stories. And her mother hurts her hand rather than have her masturbate. Uh, so uh, yeah. so there's a, a few... And you, we actually get this really wonderful sense how uncomfortable Clara is with other humans. She doesn't like being around people. She's actually a little bit more at ease when she's out in nature, when she's under a tree, when she's talking with animals. And the big monkey wrench in the story is uh, her younger sister is about to celebrate her quinceañera and uh, a handsome young buck has come to town. And we're not really sure what the relationship between her and the handsome buck is, but there's definitely a a very strong sexual element going on. Uh, And watching her develop and trying to see this person from her own perspective come out of her own shell... Mm. uh, but not in that contrived romantic comedy sort of way. It's much more, much more freeing than that. It's much more liberating about somebody sort of sort of rising up and discovering the very notion of independence. Uh, that's all very exciting to witness. Uh, the actual story, because we're not really sure how much of her mysticism plays into the real world. Mm. There's going to be an almost carry like moments that we're building towards mm. and I, I don't think that's it's all going to come out somehow it's, yeah. it's all going to come out in a very dramatic potentially supernatural kind of a way hmm. and i i feel like that part feels like a, a lot of the build-up is very nice but when we kind of see where it's facing you start to feel mm, there's a, a wisp of contrivance in the story but i feel like it plays so fair, and I feel like Wendy Chinchilla Araya and uh, the the direct. Let me look up the director's name. Mm. Natalie Alvarez Messen mm. uh, are playing incredibly fair with this character and really delving into some very uh, humane spaces that a more contrived film actually wouldn't. 
which makes it incredibly fascinating. It's very rich. The photography is very dark. There's a lot of like dark and black colors. So we get sort of this, this weird sense of uh, like otherworldliness to what's going on. Uh, it's, it's really, really beautiful. This mm. was on a, uh, pushed by Costa Rica at the last Academy Awards. It wasn't okay. nominated. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's now finally making its way to the United mm. States. And it's, mm. and it's pre- pretty rich and pretty good. You know what they should do? Mm. <clears throat> they have a, they, they, they raised the number of Best Picture nominations from 5 to 10. Yeah. And then they lowered it a little bit, then they raised it back up again. Now it's 10. Uh, isn't it time that they did that for Best for, uh, International Film as well, considering that like only one film per country is allowed to even be in the mix? Uh, uh, you think, just, right? The, the rules are a little strange. At the, I mean, it is the American Academy Awards. I so realize they're, that. They're nominating specifically American films. The, yeah, but they have the, the international, interna- fe- international yeah. features as like a little bit of a, a concession to like great cinema of the world. And, and yet Parasite won Best Picture, so, like, yeah, that, uh, that's, so that's neither here nor there. I'm just saying that like, you know, we're acknowledging that like more than five great movies came from one country this year. Can we maybe acknowledge that all of the world produced more than five good movies last year, you know? This is America. We don't pay attention to the rest of the world. Well, We're ignorant. Uh, well, that's true, but maybe we maybe I was, we shouldn't advertise it so I was much. shocked when I went traveling through Europe as a teenager that uh, yeah. most people are multilingual in the places I went. Yeah. Not, not the not, norm not here in America. It's <laughs> not the norm for a lot of people. We speak three quarters of a language. <laughs> That's fair. Anyway, we should move on. Uh, that is it for the movie reviews this week on Critically Acclaimed. Uh, we're going to review our films on a scale of C- minus to C+. Plus. Yeah. Do a quick overview of everything we discussed, and we're each going to tell you if the film is average. Uh-huh. Some good, some bad, better for some audiences than others. That gets a C, because a C, if you've been to the schools we went to, is average. Uh, if it's above average, it gets a C plus because C plus is technically above average, and that's everything from we just kind of liked it to it's the best movie ever made. That gets a C plus, and then C minus is below average. That's everything from we don't particularly recommend it to the worst movie ever made. On that note, Whitney, mm-hmm. Clara Sola on the critically acclaimed scale. Yeah, uh, it's a C plus. Great, I, I really dug it. I really enjoyed uh, the character work. I really enjoyed the performances. Mm. Just the photography. Yeah, it's really sort of delving into some pretty rich territory. I like that one. Nice. Uh, and uh, both sides of the blade. Uh, also a C plus. Mm. Uh, it, it's not as... I guess you'd have to be patient. Mm. If you don't know Claire Denis, it's going to feel a little bit meandering mm. for a while. Yeah, she definitely has a particular but style. Yeah, it, yeah. You, you do have to understand that Claire Denis films do pay off. Yeah. Uh, not in a big way. But in a way where you realize, you do realize after a while, oh wait, this this is actually a full, complete, interesting human story. Just like Blade Runner. Uh, and then uh, Fire of Love, mm-hmm. a new documentary about a volcanologist. Uh, that's a big old C+. Uh, that's a really incredible motion picture, and I hope everyone gets a chance to see it. Uh, in addition to just being interesting story of interesting characters, the volcano footage is astounding. Nice. Uh, next up, Netflix's Persuasion. Oh, uh, that's a C minus. Ah. You skip that one. That is uh, mm. not an interesting romance. It's it's almost there, but it's not Honor. there. Uh, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris is a huge C plus. Mm. I would recommend this movie to literally anyone. It is very, very sweet. It's very uplifting, but in a way that feels entirely earned. And I think they do a wonderful job 
of filming fashion in a way that if you know nothing about fashion, you say to yourself, yeah, I want that dress too. That dress is fucking phenomenal. Uh, next up, uh, Beavis and Butthead do the universe. Uh, that's also a C minus. It's, uh. it's just, it's disappointing. It's dated. It, it, it doesn't have anything really important to say. It's not even entirely that funny. All right. Uh, the Sea Beast, also on Netflix. Uh, I, I give that a C plus. I think this is actually a pretty exhilarating, well assembled adventure picture. Yeah, I give it a C plus as well. Uh, I really do think it's one of the better told fantasy adventures we've had in quite a while. Uh Um, You know, the story is, you know, a little formulaic and you've probably seen these beats done before, but they're told so wonderfully well uh, that you just kind of have to applaud. And I think you're really going to like it if you check it out. And then finally, Thor, Love and Thunder. Uh, Uh This for me is maybe the sloppiest Marvel movie yet. And that, they're not all that sloppy, but the ones that are sloppy are really sloppy. <laughs> this one feels really cobbled together at the yeah, last yeah. minute. Uh, the, the drama doesn't have weight. The questions aren't properly answered. It doesn't feel like a particularly well-told story, nor does it feel like a particularly interesting sort of exploration of a larger universe mm-hmm. within this franchise. It It's a shame because it brings up a lot of exciting ideas and then ultimately does almost nothing with them. So big old C minus. Yeah, I I agree with all those points. C minus. It's 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 not even like funny or entertaining. The action isn't fun to watch. I mean, the action is rarely fun to watch in these movies. It's more about that it's happening rather than how well it's happening. Oftentimes, yeah. All the characters are gathering to fight. Well, I mean, the tarmac fight in that Civil War movie was pretty pretty cool there have been some cool ones no uh, that was kind of neat it's rare that that those are exciting to look at though very very true i I like the action sequence on the uh the model train tracks in Mm ant-man oh that was a good one because like oh no a train is barreling toward me but they're like teeny tiny so i I liked the uh the bus fight in shang chi they're uh, fighting on a bus right. in the middle of the It was kind of cool. It, it, was... Star- it started well until they started like cutting the bus in half with magical knives and stuff. Yeah, but, but it was yeah. still fun. I, saw, I think the early action sequences in Shang-Chi are pretty solid. Mm. Um, I liked the way that the finale of Spider-Man No Way Home actually mm. had some actual dramatic heft for all the characters. And like Andrew yeah, Garfield probably... got to relive the worst moment of his life, but in a different way. And So that actually felt like it meant something to the characters rather right. than just was noise happening. I, I like that was the, a good one. I like the moments where they stopped fighting. It's like, oh, we're going to do some like, little bits of dialogue. Those little bits of dialogue yeah, were, were way more interesting than any of the actual like, action. Yeah, but I agree. Anyway, um, I, I still argue that maybe the MCU's best action sequence was... Uh, the Tarmac fight. Yeah. No, I would actually argue it's Iron Man trying to save people falling out of a plane oh, the, in Iron yeah, Man the, 3. The, the rescue sequence from Iron Man yeah, 3 they don't, is they don't, the best There's not a lot of action sequences in the Marvel Universe movies where they rescue people anymore. Mm. It's just fighting people we have grievance against. Yeah, well, keep in mind, they're not... Justice. They're. I know. They're. They're avenging. They reve- they're revenge people. Anyway, all right. That's it for critically acclaimed. We'll be back next week with reviews of new films, including Jordan Peele's. Nope. Uh, so nope, uh, and there's a new. Uh, speaking of Avengers, there's a new Russo Brothers film coming out. Actually. Oh, that's right, The Gray Man. It yeah, was, which it was which... actually released in theaters this week, but it, it'll be yeah. more accessible to us and the rest of you. I didn't. I didn't get Friday, a chance. To, so, it had. Yeah. It has a brief theatrical release. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see it for that. But we will review probably, it the way we... Probably get, get to it next week. Everyone gets a chance to see it next week because it'll be on Netflix. We'll review it on that. But yes, we'll review The Gray Man as well. And other things, I'm sure. Mm. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, if you haven't checked out our Patreon, you might want to do so. 
patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network we have a lot of exclusive shows some of which we talked about in this episode only the best we review every single film ever nominated for best picture all our yesterdays we review every single episode of star trek we're about to start uh, a new podcast series where we explore every movie and episode in the step up franchise which is going to be awesome. <laughs> we do commentary tracks. We just released a commentary track for Gremlins 2. You get to vote for future episodes of our shows. It's a lot of fun. Thank you everybody who has already signed up. You really keep the show going. We wouldn't be able to do it without you. And also you get access to all of our episodes ad-free, if that's something you would prefer. Um, if you want to talk about anything we discussed in this episode, do you think Thor Love and Thunder is the best Marvel movie? And you take, you take umbrage at our words. Uh, did you think that Mrs. Eris Goes to Paris was better when Angela Lansbury did it? By God, you email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Feel free to talk about anything we discussed today, questions you have, anything you want to hear us talk about. We might read your email at coming episode of We've Got Mail. We also have a P.O. Box. That's right, we do. If you prefer to write a physical letter, I happen to have one right here that we'll read on the next episode of We've Got Mail. Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send it to the Critically Acclaimed Network, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. We're on Twitter, at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. And for those of you who have been asking, we all have an announcement to make pretty soon. Uh, Salt Cat Soap is coming back in a new way. We're going to be doing a Soap of the Month Club. Uh, so stick around. There'll be more information uh, at Salt Cat Soap on Twitter. So uh, thank you, everybody, for your patience. And for those who have reached out asking when the soap store is coming back soon. Thank you for your support. It means the world to us. That is it for us. Never forget, everyone's a critic. I want to go to the midnight show. I'm sorry, what? <laughs>